From the halls of assembly, you hear a scream and shout. I love of Indiana, he's manic and devout. Everything I do, we discuss in unique manner. We won't be satisfied until we hang another banner. Us two goofy guys go by names of Ward and Eric. And as you probably know by now, we're Hoosier Hysterics. Hoosier Hysterics. Hoosier Hysterics. Hello, Ward. Eric, that's a nice Indiana football jersey you have on. Oh, you mentioned football? Bum, 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 bum. <laughs> that's right we're back baby we Ooh. are back i said before the game that the idaho game meant absolutely nothing i was wrong it means everything we're back we kicked ass it certainly means that saturday around the roberts household was more pleasant then it it would have been fortunately we had your birthday party to attend to last saturday which saved my family from from the repercussions of me being alone right. and watching that game right. so i even came home in a better mood than i should have but you know we had a lot of fun on saturday uh evening i mean look when you and i were at indiana winning a football game was a big was a rare occurrence I mean, it was just a rare occurrence. When it happened, it was at this time of the year in the first couple of games against a, a comparable team that we played on Saturday. Yeah, but many of those games were in the balance. <laughs> like, that's the truth. I just don't remember too many games where we were dominant in every aspect of the game. We I got don't, a running game going. I don't remember. I want the laundry list in a second. But I don't remember ever having this thought when we were undergraduates that I had on Saturday, which was at the end of the first quarter, I did the math and I was like, we might win 84 to zero. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that that is the point. Relish this. As fans, we need to relish these games because they are so much fun to see punt returns punt blocks for touchdowns you know forcing turnovers uh stuffing the run a running back who goes for over 100 yards michael Penix, highly accurate nice fade patterns into the end zone like it was just all clicking i loved it it just made me so happy and it's what this team needed it was the tonic that they needed because, Ward, in four days, it's one of the biggest games that's ever been played at Memorial Stadium. That's true. But, but, but I'm not saying it's the, I'm not saying it's the one of. Don't start making me nervous already, okay? I've been, you have to. That's part I, of the fun. I'm, I'm, I'm saving it as long as I'm relishing the afterglow. And it's creeping in. Obviously, it's creeping in because we're going to be there. But before we, yes. we head to that game, back on this game, what I also loved, along with the play on the field, were the fans in the stands. The fans in the stands. I mean, it was a beautiful sight to see because we've seen that much red in Memorial Stadium before, but that's because it was half filled with Buckeyes. Like, yes. Now, I will say, by the end of the game, many of them left. And <laughs> I don't get that because, like, again, these are rare in the history of Indiana football. Take in every moment of it. I'm with you. I'm with you. But just in those opening shots. Yeah. To just the see students the, showed out. The students showed out to see – 
that I don't know if we've seen shots of Indiana football fans filling up like an entire wide shot of the stadium. It was just like, it's full. The whole thing's full. And Ward, loud. Because you can have a full stadium where they're sitting on their hands a little bit. But we had students ripping the benches out and passing it over. Like people were <laughs> out of their minds. And I just cannot imagine what Saturday is going to be like. And I mean that. And the reason I say that is because it's never been like this for any game I've ever been to. Same. I, and, and by the way, I would argue not since the Anthony Thompson run where we did beat Ohio state and we did beat Michigan and, and, and we were a top 25 team and we were really good. Mm -hmm. Not since then has there been a game at a Memorial stadium because last year was COVID and no fans where there is an expectation that Indiana has a chance to beat a top 10 team. Yeah. And because of losing to Iowa, who is proving themselves at least in the first two weeks to be one of the five best teams in the country. Okay. I still, yeah. we still should have competed better. No doubt. We should have, right. competed better. but okay. Put that aside. But because you lose that game, Cincinnati becomes a watershed moment. I mean, for this season, it really is. It's not everything. You can still have a good year without it, but the, the, the chances of like, winning two of three of Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State, if you don't win this game, become that that's just a hard thing to think is going to happen. No, Ohio State lost, so that that's looking that you know. good. But Ward, I'm telling you, man, I'm just so excited for this game. It is a meaningful non-conference football game against a top 10 team with a good Indiana football team where we do not walk into that stadium thinking they're going to blow us out. No, we walk into that stadium thinking if we play well, we can win this game. And that is rarely the case. And I like from the players and coaches perspective, boy, did they eat a huge chunk of humble pie uh, uh, up in Iowa. And that's like, oh, OK, we got to work really hard every day to reach our potential, but then to have the confidence booster of that Idaho game that it's sort of a, I think it's a great one two punch. We all would have rather not experienced the first punch. The second one was we, we gave that punch, but then for this week of preparation for us to be going in being like, look, we know we got to give it 110% and more to compete and to win wow, this you game. You can't do that. You can't do that. You can't, you can't. No, you can't. You can only yes, give a hundred percent. You could do 200%. No, no, you can't. Yeah, yeah. Statistically impossible. Oh, oh, we're going to be literal now, Eric. I'm you just, want this I'm just show saying. to get literal now? <laughs> <laughs> what will we have left? True. Anyway, but you're right. You're right. You that that. And I did you read that quote from Tom Allen where he said that he wants the team to get into a mindset where they embrace the boredom of being consistent. I love that embrace the boredom of being consistent. Okay. And, and I do love that. Like that is the next step for this team is that you can't take weeks off that this team has, this program has never dealt with being good, right? We've never dealt with the target on our back. We've never dealt with being the game that people are looking towards as a big deal. Right. We've always been the game that you overlook for the next game. 
That's not who we are anymore. But to take the next step and be a factor, you have to consistently deliver in every practice and every game because there are so few opportunities. There are just so few. You only play 13 games, you know? And, and, and in the non-conference schedule, you have one opportunity, one, to plant a flag. It's Cincinnati. It is one. If we'd beaten Iowa, clearly we wouldn't necessarily be underdogs going into Cincinnati. But we were underdogs for that. Didn't play to our advantage. But now, like the whole narrative of the whole offseason of this program on the rise, team on the rise, can they compete for for the Big Ten? All right, whoa, 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 everybody took a step back. There's a lot of trolling going on on social media. And so now... Now Indiana's back to that place of okay, we we gotta go, we gotta go prove ourselves again. Last year doesn't mean anything. Nothing we've done means anything. Honestly, beating Idaho didn't really mean anything as to where we are as a program. Nope. And so here we go. And I do, you know, Rabby kind of tried to downplay it on reasonable Rabby last week, but I believe we are going to help out on Saturday. Us and tens of thousands of our closest friends packed into that stadium. I think we will we will give them a little extra juice that was not available to them in Iowa. And to that point, the game is sold out. There are no tickets available, except we have some tickets that we're giving away. Excellent. That's right. We have some tickets we're giving away for the Cincinnati game. Top 10 team coming to Bloomington. Biggest game of the season so far. One of the biggest games in the history of Memorial Stadium. And here's what you have to do to get the tickets. If you contribute $10 or more to the Hoosier Hysterics NIL Collective, you will qualify for a raffle. $10 gets you one ticket for the raffle, 22, 33, and so on. Every $10 gets you a raffle ticket. On Friday, we'll pull a name based on the number of tickets. And whoever gets it, gets the tickets. So here's what I'm saying to you. Yes, you are in essence paying for the tickets. The money's not going to us. It is going to go directly to Indiana University athletes in name, image, and likeness deals. This collective is very important. It is going to be the next, it is the current arms race in collegiate athletics. Facilities arms race is happening. Coaching and, and assistant coaches arms race is happening. And NIL is the third leg of that stool. And we have to compete. The Hoosier Hysterics NIL Collective ticket college football ticket raffle is happening this week for the Cincinnati game. Venmo us at Hoosier Hysterics and Ward can put up the graphic at Hoosier Hysterics NIL for Venmo for PayPal Hoosier Hysterics at gmail.com Hoosier Hysterics at gmail.com and for Zell 818-653-3851 818-653-3851 That's what question. I want to say about that. Question. Do when they're giving us this cash money, do they need to indicate in any way, shape, or form they want to be a part of this lottery for tickets? Yeah, if you could, that'd be great. When you go on Venmo or PayPal in the little note line that you can put, please do uh, NIL raffle. Just put that NIL raffle, and we'll know that you're participating. I also want to say this that we were able to do last week. Okay. We gave away some tickets mm -hmm. to some people that contributed. Yeah. A lot of people gave us their tickets that they weren't using. We ended up Ward, with like 18 tickets to that game. No kidding. Yeah. And you know what we did with them? We gave them to the Boys and Girls Club of Bloomington. It's and they were able to we take are. a bunch of underserved kids that wouldn't have the opportunity to go to the game. And a bunch of kids went to the game. That's a beautiful and thing. 
It is. And you know what? I was inspired to do that by Martha the Mop Lady on Twitter does that, mm. has been doing it for games, for basketball and football. It's a wonderful thing he does, and he inspired us to do it. So I, uh, I'm really happy we're able to do that. So if you have tickets that you aren't using, do not let them go to waste. Bring it. We will get them to people who can come. Feel free to reach out to us on DM, on Twitter, at Hoosier Hysterics for the hysterics, no E, no I. But the sometimes why. Please send us your tickets. I can tell you my email that will get you to, uh, so you can transfer the tickets if you've got an IU Hoosiers account. So I'm just ecstatic. I am so excited. And we're going to be in Bloomington again. Boy, oh boy. That's, do we have a place to stay yet? Let me check. (laughs) For one of the nights we do. Take it. Is that at a personal home or is that in an establishment? Uh, we will be at the Graduate Hotel, I believe, on Saturday night. If they let us stay there Friday night, we could just keep saying their name on air. Yeah. I mean, we've said their name on air enough, and it doesn't <laughs> seem to make a damn bit of difference. You don't have to know that part. We could make it seem <laughs> like it's a really big deal. Uh, but I'll tell you what, Ward. You okay. know what needs to happen. We're going to be there for Friday night and Saturday mm-hmm. night. Yep. I'm on a red eye. Right. On Thursday to get there Friday. What time do you get in on Friday? 5.07 a.m. All right. Yeah, it's going to be rough. Getting a car is difficult. There's like no rental cars available. I thought I was going to be able to bum a ride down with a high school buddy, but now he's got to go back to Cincinnati first. So what, what time? You don't want to get up that early. Oh, God, no. No, of course not. Well, <laughs> you might have to Uber it. But you know what we both need to do before Thursday and Friday? When do you leave? Sunday. No, no. When do you leave for Bloomington? Uh, Well, I'm getting in there on Wednesday evening. All right. So you know what we need to do tonight and tomorrow night? What? We need to get a really good night's sleep. Oh, yeah. Sure. And you know what helps get you a good night's sleep? Well, it would help if I didn't snore and or have undiagnosed sleep apnea. Exactly. Well, guess what? What? Two IU Hoosier basketball legends have combine their brain power to solve this exact problem that you have. Is it Calvert Cheney and Alan Henderson? No. Oh, well, well then who is it? It's <laughs> Bob Knight's first recruit, Steve Green, Dr. Steve Green, and one of our favorites, just one of them, not the one of, Brian Evans. They have combined their brain power and created a revolutionary new device to help with sleep apnea and snoring. It's called Aurora Sleep, aurorasleep.com. It is a a customized small device, not R2-D2 with tentacles on top of your head. These CPAP (laughs) machines that are stupid. And the the world should be rid of two things and two things only. Mosquitoes and CPAP machines. Both of them are annoying and serve no real good. I agree. I agree. What what I don't get is the R2-D2 thing. I think of more of Darth Vader. Like, my mother-in-law sounds like Darth Vader when this thing's hooked up. That's true. It's also more the pilots in Star Wars when they've got the thing over them and then they have to take it off to talk. Yeah, sure. Anyway, (laughs) Aurora Sleep is a customized device. You can make an appointment with them. You call the number 317-482-7900, 317-482-7900, and you set up an appointment with Dr. Steve Green. 
Greeno. Greeno, who not only was Bob Knight's first recruit, also one of our first guests. And, you know, when we said Brian Evans is one of our favorite all-time guests, he can't be the, because Greeno is. These guys are so fun, they're so funny, and they're so damn smart, and that's why they're revolutionizing sleep. That's what they're doing. Brian Evans, at some point, blew us off about something because he told us he was too busy revolutionizing sleep. That's exactly right. If, <laughs> in one hour appointment, you will get a customized device many times made for you that day. You'll walk out with this little device that's comfortable, that you don't have to look like an idiot. You don't have to look like you've got the octopus from Popeye on your face and you sleeping know, at night. You know what else you don't have to do is wake up in the morning by yourself, walk out and see that your wife slept on the sofa because her pillow and blankets out there and realize, hmm, that was probably my fault. Not that that happened to me this very morning, but I'm just saying maybe it happened to you. And one quick appointment with two Hoosier legends would take care of that. They're revolutionizing sleep and also saving marriages and relationships. They are the Dr. Phil of sleep. I, that, I think that's insulting to both of them. <laughs> anyway, aurorasleep.com or call the number 317-482-7900. Make sure you tell them his, the hysteric sent you. Tell them the hysteric sent you. And enjoy sleep for the rest of your life. Should I play the jingle right now or is it just too dumb? Play the jingle. AuroraSleep.com. You know that it's the bomb. AuroraSleep.com. It's not as good as another jingle that I really love, which is the reason we exist. And that is because we are powered by. Always good. Always good. You know, I love to talk about basketball. There's not a lot to talk about right now. I mean, we did make an offer to the highest ranked recruit that we have recruited since Eric Gordon. This That's is kind of news. Yeah, this is a good thing to talk about because okay. it's about progress. It's about progression. Mm. And look, we were very, very, very happy to get Tamar Bates and now Jalen hood Shafino. These are two top 25 players in the country, guards, which we love, um, and we need to get back to the Final Four where we're definitely going with them next year. Uh, but to now go after a kid who could arguably be the number one player in the country by the time he's done high school prep, whatever it is, that it's it's we're not going to get those players. We're not going to get them away from Duke or Kentucky or North Carolina or Kansas if we don't go after them. Because, frankly, who have we even tried? Romeo was the last one. Let's not count anybody inside the state. You know, and Christian, he was going to be up there in his class, but again, he was inside the state. So this is Coach Kenya, Coach Woodson, the rest of the staff saying, yeah, this is where we're going. This is where this is all leading. If we're going to be one of the very best programs in the country, 
we need to get players like this because that's what the best programs do. So I love that we're going right after the brass ring. I do too with a caveat. Um, I agree everything you said about progress and that this is on the upward trajectory and you get a couple five stars from out of state. Those five stars notice where other five stars are going. And so you kind of go up the ladder a little bit. What I don't, I've never liked is wasting our time with guys that just, it was ridiculous to waste our time with. Like we did with Aminu Muhammad, for example, or Caleb Love or RJ Davis or even Terrence Clark, God rest his soul. Um, there was no chance we were getting those guys. I mean, there really wasn't. There was, sure. there was no natural in. There was no real connection. There was no attachment to Indiana. There was no recruiting advantage or angle that you could play that made sense to waste our resources there. And I do believe that it is a zero-sum game. You can't do everything all at the same time. You sure. have to pick and choose. This is a different story for a couple reasons. One, it's Kenya Hunter. Okay, yep. so let's just start there. Yep. The guy doesn't waste his time. His hit rate is important to him too for his career and his right. career trajectory. And we trust Kenya by what he's been able to do so far and what he's done at other schools, at UConn, at Nebraska, the ability to recruit guys above where the station in recruiting should have been you know, which is what Rabbi always talks about. Like if you're at a mid-major, you shouldn't be expected to get top 10 guys. But if you're at a mid-major and you get a guy that the mid-major could not get before, and maybe he was ranked 120, that's still a big deal. Totally. Kenya has done that at every step. Kenya has a relationship with this recruit, Kwame Evans's father. There is a pre-existing relationship there. And maybe the biggest strategic piece of the puzzle, he plays for Mount Verde. Mm -hmm. So for this entire next year, every time we send someone to go watch Jalen Hood Shafino, we're also watching Kwame Evans. And, and you also have Jalen Hood Shafino recruiting for you. And, and there's a bunch of other really great players on that team now that are younger. And just to get our foot in that door... And to and to like really get a relationship going with the coaches there, with the program there. One hundred percent. That that sells it all for me, you know. And I and I don't think we should. Those are all the reasons why we are recruiting. You know, if Kwame Evans, it's not just about the player. There are, I'm sure. I mean, you said he could be the number one player in the class. He absolutely might be. So it's not like there's 20 players as good as him. But there's a handful of players that are in that conversation. We're not going for those other handful. Right. We're going for him because of the scenario. Yes. And so I appreciate that. I like the strategy of it. It's a big swing. They know it's a big swing, but you never, you know, you miss a hundred percent of the shots you don't take. So they're <laughs> almost <laughs> fucked it up. So they're going for it. I love it. Basketball seems. I feel like I'm a million years away from the Bahamas now. And I feel like it's still a million years away from college basketball starting. We did get the full schedule. Yeah. The full schedule came out, which is exciting, but with everything happening in football and it's still like November until games happen, it just seems so far away that the only thing I'm really focused on with basketball right now is Noah Clowney. That's the big one. He's done two of his visits or three. I think he's done three. He's done Indiana, Florida, and Virginia Tech. Correct. He's got one more to Alabama by the end of this month. And then the decision should come in October. 
I think we're getting them. I think we're getting them. I like it. I will take your optimism. It does seem, at least on the boards, that Vatek is feeling feeling themselves on this Let one. Let them feel themselves. Yeah. Let them. Yeah. Vatek. <laughs> the uh the the nice thing about what seemed like an impossibly long time between the Bahamas and more basketball games being played. I've totally not worried about that at all this week because we're going to Bloomington. It's like now time is standing still. I'm just so excited and in the moment, whether it be, you know, thinking about the Idaho game or looking forward to the Cincinnati game, like right now my Indiana universe is all boiled down to the week we are in. And then as soon as we're on the plane and we're feeling sad, we're leaving Bloomington, I'll get back to wondering about the next football game or how long it's going to be till the next basketball game. But this is this is now, we are now in the happy zone, wedged between an IU football victory and, as you say, one of the most consequential games in the history of Memorial Stadium that we will get to be there for. I, I can't wait. I do have some bad news for you. I don't want to hear it. I got to tell you, okay. I, I can't, I can't eat the way I normally eat there. What? I can't, I got to just pull back a little bit. What, 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 what is going to be so consequential in those few days to make you change your behavior? What do you, what do you mean? What's going to be so consequential in those few days? Well, I mean, like what, whatever damage you do over like three days, can't you just undo that? It's getting, the older I get, it's getting harder. Is it harder? And and you know what it does is it just psychologically puts me in a place where I don't want to make the change. I'm just, I am so close to being an old fat guy. I am just (laughs) dangerously close to it that look, I want to have a little pizza. I think I'm going to skip Zagreb's this time. Wow. Are you okay with that? I mean, that's the one place I, I would have thought that would be the last place. You I would think want I got to gotta start there. I think I got to, I think I just got to, I just got to pare it back a little bit. <laughs> that said, I do want to have a stromboli at, at Cafe Pizzeria. But well, I, I mean, but like to me, I'd much rather spend my calories on a, a steak at Zagreb's than a stromboli at. I don't even know if we can get into Zagreb's now. Okay. Well, look, I'm easy. It, I don't. What did Holly say? You have a terrible relationship with food. You said I have a terrible relationship with food. M- mine's, mine's. We're on speaking terms. Me and food, we're we're yeah. okay. So I'll I'll roll with you, buddy. Whatever you need. I just gotta I gotta walk away from this weekend without feeling like I need to check into a rehab center. That's right. what I need to do, and it's not for alcohol or drugs. Well, I I think we we come up with a plan. You know, it's like kind of Jenny Craig, a sensible you know, a sensible plan that we can stick to. I got to work out while I'm there too. That's the big thing. I've got to work out. It just, it can't be that like we're leaving one restaurant to go to another restaurant and you spontaneously decide we should go get ice cream in between. I know, can't do that. I don't want to have ice cream there. That's okay. Like that, I mean, I love me some chocolate, the chocolate mousse, but- I'm I'm okay with that. Lord, I, I've been thinking about that Sunday that I got on that last day since we left. I may have to go get that again. Now I think I'm going to go get it again. <laughs> we're we're seeing your your grand aspirations just unravel right before us. I mean, we just gotta figure out a way to get out of there without gaining 22 pounds. Is that is that what happened last time? 19 and a half pounds is what happened last time. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, uh, I will defer to you on this. I might just, I would say the two, it would feel weird not to do Zagreb's or Buffaloes. It'll feel weird. It'll feel weird. There, I, I mean, I doubt we can even get into Zagreb's on Friday night. What, what if we go at like 4 p.m.? Like right when they open. And then, and then you have more time to digest before going to bed. Work. If I eat Zagreb's at four o'clock, mm-hmm. there is zero doubt I will be eating buffaloes before the night is over. <laughs> That's well, the truth. But even, even, I'll do a drive by winging. Could you go to Zagreb's and just like not order two entrees for yourself? Could you just, just order one? I'm not ordering the shish kebab. Okay, see, that's that's what I'm saying. Or maybe I'll just order the shish kebab. Either or, just not both. I'm not ordering that burger that Angelo Pizzo got. That thing was ridiculous. That, you would be 19 and a half pounds heavier just having that that burger. All right, bottom line, we're heading to Bloomington. We're excited. Follow us on Twitter to follow our escapades while we're there. We should have some good announcements coming out of there, too, about some NIL events that you can be directly involved in that are going to be really fun and uh, I think impactful. So hopefully we'll have some updates there. Uh, and now we get to do an interview with somebody that I've been really excited to do this because for one, he crossed paths with us at Indiana mm-hmm. when we were there. And also we've talked about this in, in the great tapestry that is Indiana university basketball. It is filled with legends and superstars and it is filled with the guys that don't get their chance to tell their story. And those people that wore the jersey and grinded for four or five years and left Indiana uh, are still a big part of the puzzle of Indiana University basketball. And I like hearing those perspectives. And this gentleman was there in a tumultuous time and had a tumultuous experience. And to be honest with you, I'm not sure what his total perspective is on his time there. So I am very curious and eager to find out. And anytime we get to hang out with the SoCal guy, I'm down. Let's do it. Here comes our guest. Here comes our guest. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls of Hoosier Nation, we have a special guest here today, uh, near and dear to our heart, because he resides here in Southern California, but unlike us, he's from Southern California. Eric, would you like to get into the details of this young man? Also, I want to point out near and dear to our hearts because he crossed over with us at Indiana for me a couple of years. I think for you one year. So it's always fun to talk to somebody from our era. We are talking to a gentleman who hails from Pasadena, California, by way of La Cañada High School, uh, where he led the Spartans to the 91-92 CIF Southern Section Championship, the first ever in school history, ushering in a new era of success for that high school. And he decided like very few others, to take his talents and fly across the country, to leave the warm, sunny confines of Los Angeles for the beautiful weather of Bloomington, Indiana, all year round, (laughs) where he came to Indiana and was there from 1993 to 1998. Every year that he was there, we played in the NCAA tournament. That's a novel idea that we haven't been uh, accustomed to lately. After playing at Indiana with greats like Damon Bailey and Pat Graham and Brian Evans and Alan Henderson uh, and Andre Patterson, Charlie Miller, and many, many others, A.J. Guyton, Michael Lewis, his career really spans 
an interesting time from like the end of those incredible early 90s teams through a, a new era in Indiana with the great guards of Lewis and Guyton. He then played a little international basketball professionally, and I want to get into that. Then he moved back to Los Angeles where he's become an entrepreneur and businessman, a restaurateur, if you will. Ladies and gentlemen, we are talking to the big man, Richard Mandeville. Hey guys, thank you for having me. Thank you for being here. Yeah, thank you. So before we get into everything, tell Hoosier Nation what you are doing now. What, what occupies your time out here in beautiful Los Angeles? Uh, so now I am, uh, two things I'm doing. Uh, got, we got a, a gastropub, full restaurant bar called The Fat Dog uh, that we have a location currently in North Hollywood. Uh, it's our third location. We had two previous uh, locations. Our first one in Montrose, uh, which is a little outside La Cunada. We moved on to one in West Hollywood. Uh, we ran that one for 10 years and we just decided just in the last couple of years, we didn't renew the lease on that one. Uh, during the West Hollywood uh, location, we opened the North Hollywood location, which is now going on, what, six years? Wow. Uh, it's kind of when you have a brand um, business, you know, like a, what we call at the time when we started at Gastropub, all the work and uh, locations kind of led to the North Hollywood location. It's kind of all the work we put in, this is kind of the reward. It's finally really paid off in, in just the location, the size, um, the team, the management, the uh, Everything's just spot on from the, the craft cocktails to the draft beer program, to the food, to the atmosphere. Um, it, it's for, for everyone, families, you know, young, old, single. It's just a fun, fun place. Um, both sports, you can watch sports there, not over overkill sports, but it's got a little everything. It's, it's, a, it's a great place. Now, Richard, uh, I've got to say, uh, it was time for me to meet up with with Michael Lewis, who we just recently become acquainted acquainted with when he came to UCLA. Mm -hmm. uh, I hadn't met his wife or his children. We were like, "Hey, let's meet at Fat Dog there in North Hollywood. It's Richard's restaurant. Uh, we'll go there. We'll watch the game and we'll we'll hang out." So we met there. Uh, ordered some food. The food was fantastic. As you said, the atmosphere was great. And then we were all ready to watch the IU game. But Richard, there was no Big Ten network. I remember it like yesterday because Lewis <laughs> was texting me. <laughs> you know, he was he was like, what the, you know what? I, I was like, I still think he's wrong because I even, I think I was at my son's baseball game in Chino Hills. I remember this like yesterday. And I still think we have it, the Big Ten network. I don't know what happened, but you know, Mike, Mike, he didn't let it go. He, he, he got after it. And we were actually supposed to meet up there and we still haven't, but then COVID just took over LA County and, and the, the lockdowns were so severe and we, we were about ready to get ready to, to meet up and we still haven't done that. But yeah, I, I remember that. I apologize. I don't know what happened because I swear we have the Big Ten Network. Well, Mike, uh, Mike was just, I'm like, Mike, I'm at a baseball game. Leave me alone. <laughs> but it, it was funny. Well, this is what we got to do. Uh, Ward and I are going back to Indiana this week for the Cincinnati home game, a big game against a top 10 team. But then I think we play Western Kentucky and there's a bunch of games after that. We got to have, we got to do a little get together with Mike Lewis, with you at the Definitely. fat dog. We did Definitely. one for other Hoosiers in Southern California, 
for the horrible Iowa game. So we need a new place to shake off that mojo. Right. Let's do it at your place and we'll right. arrange the reunion. I'm in. That'd be great because I, I, owe, I owe it to Mike. Love to meet you guys in person. And you know, there's when we talked the other day when, when I came back from IU, there's tons of Hoosiers out here. Yeah. All of a sudden, you're, you, when you're out and about or you're out and you're meeting people, met a lot of Hoosiers. So there is a lot of Indiana people out here. So to take a little detour, though, because I we don't get often a chance to talk about kind of real world issues. But, you know, you mentioned how severe the lockdowns were in, in Southern California. And, and they were. And I think a lot of our listeners are in and around Bloomington and in the Indiana area where the lockdowns weren't nearly as severe uh, for businesses as, as they were here. How were you able to clearly survive that and, and flourish even coming out of it when we're still in California in a little bit of a, a, a weird place? But what was that like for you and your business? Awful. I mean, I can't, there's, there's not one positive thing that we've gone through. It, just not us, just the entire industry. Um, it, it just killed and ruined a lot of uh, mom and pops. You know, yeah. the corporate places are, you know, we're surviving, but there's so many stories of people in places I've heard that have just gone out of business that couldn't make it or didn't get the, the PPP loan or didn't get the idle loan. And then, you know, looking back and still, it, it, it just feels like they picked on the industry and they kept going with the science, yet there's no facts or science saying outdoor dining is a spread of COVID yet they just shut the industry down. And, and even without being shut down or having restrictions, it's one of the most difficult businesses to run. Yeah, your margins are all, tiny. It's so tiny. And then all of a sudden to say, hey, you guys can just operate with just to go only. But the, it just, it, the, the whole thing, it's it just, they, the way they handle the restaurant and bar industry it, it is really, I feel, and on top of that, the landlords for this industry, we're still trying to climb back out of it. You know, even... People ask us all the time, hey, you guys must, you know, how's it going? How are you guys doing? Must be great. It's great that right now we have no restrictions um, so we can operate normal, but it's just people aren't behaving or going out like they were prior to COVID. So I was going to ask that, that you still not, see I mean, that. It's, just, it, it's like a roller coaster. It's like you'll have your days like, wow, it feels like it used to. And then you'll have your just dead nights or slow and slow afternoons. It's just people are not going out and a lot of people are still scared and we feel it. We see it in our numbers. Have you had trouble rehiring people? No. Cause I know that that's been a real issue for, for small businesses, especially in the restaurant game. Big, big time. We, we, uh, we were, so, we were scrambling, you know, so many, so many of our, we have, we have a huge, great staff. They're like a family and so many people when we were reopening, we um, reached out to, and they just didn't want to come back to work. These checks they were getting every week or every other week, um, they just, we could not find people. You know, we had to get involved ourselves to help working. Um, we had people working double shifts. We're still, still kind of feeling it. We can't just hire like we used to. It's really difficult. We hear it from every, like everybody's in the same boat. It's, it's really, it's really difficult. And were you able to adapt the space at all? Um, did you have any room there in front or back to do more outdoor dining when that became something they let you do again? Actually, that's, yeah, we have, you know, I think one of the best patios in the Valley. It's, it's a great, 
big spacious patio. So we were lucky because of indoor dining was shut down. We utilized our patio and then they, they did a thing, LA did a thing called El Fresco, which was created more outdoor dining uh, on a sidewalk or street in front of your business, which is Magnolia Boulevard. So if you're driving down Magnolia, there's a section of one of the lanes that they've created dining. They put a big barrier. So that helped, um, you know, but in the middle of the winter, the valley, it's like the desert. It's not IU cold. It's cold <laughs> out here at night. And now that you guys are out here, you know, it, it could be 71 degrees and the three of us are like, oh, this is great. And there's people asking for a heater. Right. <laughs> it's like, you guys have no idea what a cold winter is, which I miss. I, that's the one thing, just speaking about weather, everyone thinks, yes, California has great weather, but I would prefer more seasons. I prefer yeah. winter. You know, it, it's almost like it's 80 degrees here 90, 90% of the time. I want to have some snow. I want to have the... Like Bloomington, I I, look, that. I, I'm I with you. I want fall. I want I'm, fall and spring, but I do not need winter in my life. I had 21 years of that. I'm the bad guy where I'm always saying California weather is overrated because <laughs> I want I want to get I want to wear a jacket. Yeah, I'm just putting on my winter coat. I sometimes force wearing a jacket and I take it off before I even have to wear it. So I, yeah, I miss you know. There's the mountains. We we go up to Lake Arrowhead a lot, which gives us that kind of cold winter feeling. Um, but I definitely miss the Midwest weather, which I know some people are like, you're crazy. I'm like, no, actually, I really, really enjoyed that. Yeah, I am with you. Ward and I uh, argue about this all the time. I love going back to Indiana in December and January and February because I want the snow. I yep. want the cold. I want to get bundled up. Yep. Um, it also gives me a chance to wear the thousands of dollars of IU gear that I've purchased <laughs> that are like big sweatshirts right. and hoodies. All right, so... Uh, another thing you and I talked about recently, before we go back to your story, clearly we're in the middle of football season right now, and we're in the middle of really a rare occurrence for Indiana, which is that we're invested in football season. And I know you had said that you're friends with a lot of guys that were football players when, when you were uh, at IU and you still stay in touch with them. What's it been like for you just kind of as a, a sports fan to care about football and being interested in what Indiana's doing? I'm very excited. I mean, the, the, the group of friends I was talking about, there's a, there's a couple football guys and a baseball guy. We're always on a group text and I mean, they're diehard. These guys, diehard football fans, just IU fans. And in every, every season it's, it's, everyone gets hyped about the football. It's going to be getting better. It's, you know, the recruiting class, you know, they got some running back from uh, the transferred out of USC. Yeah. So it, it it's just, I'm hoping like all the fans are hoping for a consistent uh, strong win season where we get a good bowl and in that, which will then help the recruiting classes in the future, which will then build. I think what the team is lacking is the depth, you know, where they run out of gas at times. For sure. It's not that they're not lacking talent, um, but I, you know, it's tough. Iowa, as you saw this past weekend, Iowa just went Iowa State. So that to lose to Iowa, that was a good you can take it as a good loss to build off of. But yeah, no, it's exciting. They always show their old retro uniforms. Like I think what they the, the first game they 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 brought back, yeah. Which is really wearing cool. one. Yeah, which is really cool. So the facilities, you guys know, in Bloomington are second to none. Right. Both basketball, football. I mean, it's 
And then once you go there for a visit, any athlete, it's hard not to say, oh my God, I'm, I'm going there. It's just a great college town and, and the facilities are, 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 are beautiful. And what's your take on Coach Tom Allen? I mean, I honestly not as knowledgeable as my, my buddies. I kind of just read through what they send. It sounds like we have the right guy. Yeah. Um, I, I, I just want to see wins and see a good bowl win and the recruiting class get better and better. Um, I love seeing Ohio State lose. Yes. <laughs> Stan, Ohio State. I got a buddy who's an Ohio State fan. I probably sent him 15 different duck pictures and gifts because I just so you know I hope Michigan gets them this year I hope Ohio State suffers um I I really do I do no I just I I just hope the program keeps building the point where it's it's in the top top 15 top 10 top 20 whatever it is just keep building on that now I am curious your hatred for Ohio State which I love and and uh, respect and agree with when did that get born in you? Because coming from California, I mean, yes, you have a little bit of the, you know, Pac-10 back then versus the Big Ten in the Rose Bowl. But when did did the Ohio State hatred come from your time in Indiana? Not re- no, I mean, I, I didn't really like any of the schools we played against, but more of just <laughs> now being out of there and their dominance and some 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 friends that I have that are Ohio State fans. They're just. It's annoying to be honest yeah. with you. They're really, <laughs> it, it, to see them lose, it, it's it's a real good feeling because they just they're. Uh, I'm just thinking of my buddy. He just he just won't shut up. Yeah. I mean, there's now there's an excuse that they lost to Oregon. So there's always a re. Whenever they lose, it's like that's okay. It's just I'm 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 happy to see him lose right now. I'm with you. Hey, I think part of being a true Indiana fan is taking almost as much pleasure in teams that you hate losing as our team winning. I think it's our team winning and right under it is Kentucky and Louisville and Michigan State and Purdue and Ohio State Mm -hmm. losing. It's been hard seeing Purdue do so. I mean, Purdue's been doing great. They've had, that's that's a tough one. That was the first thing I learned going to IU because, you know, coming from out here, it's, you're either a USC fan or UCLA fan. And if you're one or the other, you hate the other. Right. And so then, you know, being in Bloomington within right away, you learn the hatred between IU and Purdue. And especially when you go and you play there for the first time and you're so close to the, the, the fans are so close to the, the, the court. And I remember Damon Bailey was a, you know, he was a senior and the things that people were yelling at him were just, I mean, awful. Yeah. The hatred in that between IU and Purdue I think it's as, as big as any. Totally agree. And yeah. when the fans are that close, and I don't know if it's from their clothes or their shoes or their breath, but does it smell like manure? <laughs> no, actually, the place that smells the worst in the Big Ten is Illinois. Makes that sense. Place, Illinois, driving into there, it's just, the, I think, I don't, I don't remember why, but there was a reason. But Purdue, there's nothing nice about Purdue. No, yes. Purdue. Not nothing. at all. Nothing. Nothing. <laughs> Even their colors are like just ugly. They're like poop and pee. Yeah, poop and pee. (laughs) There's nothing fun about going to on a road trip to Purdue at all. Yeah. Except winning, which is nice. Yeah. 
that 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 again, not something we've experienced a lot lately. Um, but we'll we'll get into your more successful time there, particularly against the Boilermakers. But let's go back to a much much nicer place, Pasadena, and where you went to high school, La Cañada. I'm not sure like where exactly you grew up and how you ended up. Uh, for those who don't live in Northeast LA like I do, I'm a Glendale guy. So we got Pasadena a little further east. And then kind of in the northern part of Glendale, northeast L.A. is La Cañada. Beautiful area. Great schools now. I assume they were good back then. Mm-hmm. Um, can you just kind of situate us to your your neighborhood growing up? Yeah, I grew up right right in Pasadena in an in a area right, right above the uh, Rose Bowl. So I grew mm-hmm. up just, I mean, I could, I'm five minutes away, five-minute walk from the Rose Bowl. So I grew up going to... You know Rose Bowl games, UCLA games, and and went to a school right there in the area um, called Chandler. And then uh, come high school, um, looking at a bunch of high schools, and La Cunada was close. It was I wasn't part of the school district, but um, I did something at the time that you can't do now that a lot of people tried to do that cities just stopped as I used a fake address. Yeah. Ah. As I used, because it, at the time in, in it, I don't know if you guys have heard of John Muir High School, that's where Jock Vaughn went. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really, really good. And actually before Jock, an, another a big uh, name basketball player, Stacy Ogman. Oh, wow. Muir. Of you so and OD Muir's always, yeah, my, my mom grew up there. My mom went to Muir. So that would have been the public school if I was going to go that route. Um, I should have gone to, but it was just the education side of it. It was just, it, it was not the greatest school at the time. Um, looking at a couple private Catholic schools and then La Cunada, which is a public, great, great area, like five, 10 minutes away, uh, had a really, really good basketball program. And uh, we found a way. And at the time I had an address in La Cunada and a lot of kids started doing it. And as I was leaving, they kind of caught on and, 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 and stopped it. But Coach uh, Tom Hoffman, who he's still there, has wow. built a really, really, really good program. Every year they're winning the league. They've, they've won CIF multiple times. Um, they're, they're, it's, it's just a good program. So going there was great. And, um, yeah. How did um, – I would imagine your – height had something to do with how you found the game of basketball but oftentimes in in southern california you know basketball is not the primary sport for a lot of people you know football is is big baseball and soccer are both really big out here um and sometimes i think basketball gets overlooked but when did you uh find the game of basketball i mean i played up until like junior high i played all the sports. Um, it's kind of funny because I'm going through that now with my son who's uh, going into eighth grade who uh, plays baseball. And, you know, I talk with other dads about having a kid playing sports at this age are so different when I was that age because you just played, if you played bat when you play basketball, you're done, you go on to the next sport, you go on to the next sport, you go on to the next sport. I played everything. Now everyone's so concerned about their kid being the best once you're in a sport it's almost like you have to do a year around or you're going to miss the boat right Um, and and it's so so you know i played everything i mean i i love baseball i love basketball um love football but they wouldn't my my parents and actually my high school coach would let me play football 
Uh, there's wow. a reason probably they didn't want me to hurt my knees, but mm. I'm kind of bummed about that one. Play freshman football, but it just didn't happen. But come junior high is when you kind of get serious about a sport. And with my height, I just started. Uh, I started playing club basketball, and from that point, it was just, I was playing basketball and baseball. I just kind of, I just at that point stopped playing baseball and just ended up from about what seventh grade on just playing basketball year round. I would imagine that maybe some of those '80s Lakers teams oh, yeah. uh, you had fun watching. Were Were you a big Lakers guy? Did yeah, you yeah, yeah. Magic Magic Johnson's my favorite favorite athlete all time. Big Lakers fan. Grew up. I mean, went to went to a lot of games. Went to a lot of Clipper games. Um, but yeah, the, those '80s Lakers and the you know the Celtics and just the way they played back then. You can't. It's so different now. Yeah. Did you hate the Celtics? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was, uh, yeah. It was, I mean, they were playing each other. It was with that whole, was it they played five times? How many times did they play? They played, I think they played like in the finals, like four or five times. Four or five times. Yeah, it was exciting. It was fun. It was, uh, and to go to the forum. I don't know if you've ever been to the forum. Back then, you'd think the forum is, wow, this place is huge. It's, it feels like a high school gym. No kidding. To, Compared to how the arenas are now, it, it's uh, really, really different. And were you a UCLA guy over USC? No, I was a USC guy. Really? Now, we, how did that happen? You're growing up right by the Rose Bowl? My, mom, my uncle, my mom's brother went to USC. So yeah. I kind of growing up with, went randomly to uh, USC games. Um, you catch a lot of flack for that, too, because a lot of people... Like the Purdue IU thing, if you're an SC fan, there's a lot of hatred towards SC, yeah. which they're kind of, there's an arrogance about USC out here. Now I'm not as diehard USC as when I was a kid, but, you know, USC thinks they should be in that final four every year, no matter what. And they always have an excuse if they're not. And they're just, yeah, that's, that's USC for you out here. <laughs> when did you, um, Obviously, your height made you know. Oftentimes, and I'm sure you see this with your with your son too. So much of success in early days of basketball is just who is most physically mature, like which kids have grown faster, which kids are stronger. When when did it go from you being tall to you being skilled and really good? And when did you realize basketball is going to lead you to some some places that that are going to create some pretty big opportunities for you? Um. Probably in uh, summer between eighth and ninth grade, uh, went and played with the, uh, the varsity team, and we played we played uh, a ton of leagues, summer leagues, and tournaments all over. So through that summer, um, by the end of the summer, going into school, by when when school started, and there would be practice, there were already letters. Coach often be like, "Here you go." Every day there were all there's just letters every day. Wow. The let yeah, it was so at that point, that's when I think my parents I, I was so young, I don't really remember, but I know that's when it kind of got like he's he's on the way to something special here. So there was just letters coming left and right every day at practice. So that's when I I knew. Um, and then coaches, you know, there are all random coaches from all over would show up at practices and at games and yeah that started right around freshman year 
Now, I'm curious about some of the guys who might have been around uh, during the summers or even, I doubt you would have played them at La Cañada, but who were some of the other players who ended up going on to college or even professionally that you saw in the early days? Oh, yeah, there was a, during that, that there was, um, God, there was, a, there was a lot. I'm just thinking as we're talking right now. So obviously I said Jock Vaughn and a lot of these guys I played on Slam and Jam. Yeah. Like ERC. Um, like there was a team at one point where it was, it was Jock Vaughn, Charles O'Bannon, uh, Toby Bailey, um, Monty Marcaccini, uh, who was a notary who was actually coming to IU, but at the last minute, that whole thing fell apart. Mm. Um, God, there's so many. I'm just trying to think. Uh, those are the ones that stick out. Um, there's a guy named Evandre Jones who actually played on Charles, not Charles, yeah, Charles O'Bannon's team. Went to USC, another 6'11 big guy. Um, Did you ever play against Ed O'Bannon? Never. I played with him at, at summers when he'd come home. Yeah. UCLA was known for, that's where everyone from college players to pros, you go, you go down there in the old men's gym. Yeah. And there's, what is it, I think three courts old crappy gym but you'd see everybody you you name it they were there playing like from in college to to magic johnson to all the guys from michigan i remember seeing jalen rose maurice taylor all like everybody would go and spend the summers in la because they want to be in la and then right. also it's the place to go to get runs and i think to this day still it's kind of the hotbed where guys it go is yeah. it's funny i re- <laughs> The first day that I lived in LA, it was end of July of 1999. I moved out to LA. My my parents came with me. They they helped move me out. Then they left. And that afternoon, I called a friend, the only person I knew, who had moved out to LA from my hometown, St. Louis. And I play. He played basketball a little bit. I played basketball. And he said, "Well, why don't we go down to UCLA and 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 get, join in one of these runs? They have great runs there." I'm like, okay. I drove down, met him at UCLA, didn't know where the hell I was. And, you know, LA is so big to begin with. And we walk into that gym and I start watching and I don't remember anybody specifically. I just remember watching what had to be professional NBA games. That's what it looked like to me. And I'm like, let's go see if there's a court outside that we can play. We ended up playing (laughs) one-on-one for like an hour because it was too intimidating. I mean, it was the real, like it, like you, I'm not kidding. You think of every um, NBA star at the time in college star, you name it, they were there playing. It was, and, and there's was always this little guy named Adam. I don't remember his, but he would, for whatever reason, he was the guy who ran the whole thing. And uh, you had to be on his good side or hope that he would put you on a team. It's not like you just show up and you're like, Hey, we're playing. Like there was this one guy who always ran it, but I ended up going down there a lot and playing, and it was a lot of fun. Did that you ever fun. get on the court with Magic? Oh, yeah. And Ma- Mag- Magic would – you ask anybody who played there, they would agree. If Magic's team – if Magic doesn't score or he has the ball and tries to score or someone else scores, foul. <laughs> I'm not kidding. I mean, it was, it was re- like – foul he's not, he's not getting up until his team gets that point and then all right we can go back the other way it was kind of a lot of guys like oh god magic's playing today because he just would but yeah no it was great magic was uh 
he was working out. He was big, and I mean, that was when he put on a lot of weight, muscle, yeah. and he got really big. But he still he dominated. Did you ever play on the same team as Magic? Uh, probably at some point. If you just get there, I mean, it honestly, be all of a sudden there'd be three courts of with like there'd be probably thirty plus guys there, guys waiting, teams waiting, and you just randomly get on a team. Yeah, I, I think at some point. I mean, it's been so long. Definitely, at some point, if you're there, you end up being on this team. That's awesome. That is yeah. just awesome. All right. So then, when did the letters that you're getting turn into? now real recruitments and who were the first schools that you remember really coming after you and you really consider it? Um, probably the Arizona schools, uh, UCLA. Um, Arizona was the one right out of the gate from day one that was really uh, re recruiting hard um, and other Pac-10 at the time, Pac-10 schools. And then when you're, when, I mean, now looking back, you think about if you're 6'11", and you, you know, I could shoot the ball and decent player. They're just, you're going to get recruited by everybody. Yeah. I was, I was yeah. going to say your, your game was really ahead of its time. Like you were, you were a big man who could face up, shoot from the outside, spread the floor. You weren't a typical back to the basket big. You No, I mean, I'm, and then once you, once going to IU because of the uh, night system, you think about it, it almost created me. I mean, that's really all I was, was a, a screener uh, jump shooter. And, and, and there wasn't an actual throw it down low, spread the court. I mean, there was, don't get me wrong, but in his system, in the, 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 the constant motion, uh, back screens, flare screen, everything, it, you get open. And if you can shoot the ball, which you just, it, it, looking back now, I probably shot relied on it too much and it i became just a one that's all i could do was shoot hmm. um but yeah it, yeah that's you're, you're right that was that was definitely my strong point of shooting the ball and when did indiana enter the picture and how did they enter the picture oh man i mean at that point like i said you're getting you're getting recruited by everyone in in indiana probably by my junior year um they were it was Dan, Dan Dockage or um, I think it was Dan Dockage who was coming out a lot and they were just constantly, you know, sending letters, making phone calls, making sure that they were um, in the mix. Do you remember the first time you talked to Go Coach Knight directly? Um, you don't really talk to him that it wasn't like on the visit when you really is when you really spent a lot of time with Coach Knight. Um, not really when he came out, he came out once and we were just playing pickup in the gym and he watched for about, honestly, he, he sat in the, in the bleachers. I think he, he did. He had McDonald's and then Karen <laughs> sat in the bleachers and we're just playing pickup and he was there for about 15 minutes. And I think he just, that was it. Got up, got out of there. Um, he wasn't there that much, but it was more of like, it was dockage and I think felling. Uh, they were there, but when with the time you really spend a lot of time, or you talk with coaches when you when you when you go on your official visit, and you're there for what two three days. That's when you 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 spend a lot of time talking with coach. Please, but let's, please let's tell us point. about that. Yeah, I, wait, I want to go back to him showing up for your pickup game because look, <laughs> I know you've played with Magic, and I get it. You're in LA. There's lots of big stars, but when Bobby Knight comes, I mean, and we're talking about prime Bobby Knight here. This is Bobby Knight, the mm -hmm. legend. Yeah. 
when he comes to that and you know he's coming, were you nervous? Was it a big deal? Like, what was your, what were you I thinking? Think, honestly, looking back and now, and I still am friends with a lot of my guys. Uh, there are my teammates and, and buddies from high school. I think they were the, the ones looking back that were the most like, holy crap. Look who's <laughs> looked like Coach Knight is here or I think like Jim Bayheim was there. Lute Olson was there. Um, I'm trying to think. There were a lot just like, I remember the guys were like more nervous than I was because they were, they were just in awe of it. Um, yeah, he was there. It wasn't that long. And I do remember he sat in the bleachers and it was like 15 minutes and then he was gone. And then did you hear anything from him? Like, did you want to hear like an analysis from him? What did he think of your game? You don't get analysis from Knight. He, he doesn't do that. He, okay. He'll let you know when he's ready, he'll let you know. And it's either going to be a really good analysis or it's going to be a real bad one. <laughs> um, so. All right. Well, then like, which is, which, walk. hey, looking back, which is fair, he, that's that's his job. So but he can be he can be very critical as he should. And um, I think he just said he's seen enough and done deal. He wanted to make he wanted to make it happen. And um, it didn't couldn't happen right then and there. But they were very. Um, they, they definitely wanted me to, to sign for Indiana. So tell us about the vision. Tell, walk us through going to Bloomington. I assume that's the first time that... Well, I mean, I, I, I don't, not a lot of people know the story. I mean, my, my close friends do, but I, I wasn't even supposed to go on that visit. I, I really wanted to go to Arizona, and I was really... Lute Olson was, you know, I mean, it's Lute Olson. He was also just a great recruiter and went out there, and I, I had... I had my official visits and I went to Arizona on my official visit and I came back and I, I told my parents and coach, I coach, I said, I'm, I'm ready. I want to go to Arizona. Oh, this wow. Is it. Yeah, no, I was done deal. Loved it. And, um, came home, said that, and they're like, all right, that's fine. But you still need to, you told Indiana, you're going on an official visit. You need to stand up. You got to do that. Um, you can't just call them and say, I'm not showing up. So just go out there. It'd be good for you to go. I'm like, no, I don't, I I'm ready to go to Arizona. I don't want to go. Mm. But they insisted and it, it was the right thing to do. You just don't, if you say, Hey, I'm going to come on a visit. You don't just turn around a week later and say, you know what? I'm not coming anymore. So th that was the right call. And I mean, are you kidding me? L looking back and on top of one of my best friends of this day was my host, Brian Evans. So yes. I mean, to you guys know him well. I mean, anyone who knows Brian Evans is it's great, great guy, great friend. Great. I mean, we go on and on about him, but he was my host. And on top of it, it was the um, Michigan, Indiana weekend when the mm -hmm. Fab Five was Fab there. Five. So I was there for that weekend in that atmosphere. Oh. I mean, done. I mean, you're kidding me. I was like, this is. I spent. I think I got there Friday through because the game was on Sunday. So I think I left Monday. It was just, it was awesome. You guys, and once you go to Bloomington, anyone, like I tell everybody that, that once you bring up Indiana, I say that you really need to, it's one of those towns you have to go to. Yeah. It's a special, special place. And until you go, once you go, you'd be like, wow, I get it. And, it, and I, I just fell in love with it. Um, and the guys, all the, all the guys on the team were great. And, and again, like I said, Brian Evans, he, he was my host. Like we, we got along really well and it's just, I, and then hanging out with Knight, which was, uh, yeah, tell us, tell us about that. 
He, I mean, he's he's a everyone would agree who's who's gone to play for him. He's a, he's a really good recruiter. Um, he, I mean, I spent time at his house, barbecued at his house. Funny watching him run the barbecue. Pissed off on the. I remember he got pissed off. He was smoking. He had his water, he had his water spray, trying to calm the fire down, which everyone knows that makes it even worse. Yeah. Pouring water on the fire, so he's sitting there trying to like he was like grilling t bones or something, and he was, he was fighting the barbecue and trying to talk to me at the same time, and it wasn't working for him. He's trying to put out. I remember he's trying to put the fire out. So he's not burning the steaks, but it was backfiring on him, and he had one of his god damn it moments and <laughs> which was he was he was great i mean he's look night he he was he was really really he was a big part of it too i had a really good visit with him and i just felt it felt right no um, guys yeah and, then, and actually i also knew some of the the guys coming in from um nike camp robbie eggers which another yeah. great great guy good good friend and we hit it off really well so we committed and went to Nike camp together. Um, we, we became good friends. So it just felt, it felt right. All the guys that I met, um, I got along with really well. And I just felt really comfortable. And be honest, it's for anyone who's got a kid who's going to go to school or go away. The greatest thing I ever did is to go away to school instead of staying. You know, I could have gone, stayed home and gone, what, let's say I went to UCLA or went to uh, Arizona, which is a what hour flight away, go away. You, you mm-hmm. to get away. You need to appreciate and learn um, a new place to live, which made me appreciate California. But you learn a whole new culture, and the people in the Midwest are best people in the country. I mean, they're just so genuine. It's just best thing I could have done. Well, and. To me, it seems the the idea of coming to someplace like L.A. or New York for school is just like it, it seems like it almost diminishes the collegiate experience because you're immersed in this huge city, this huge culture. Whereas in Bloomington, it's like all about going to college. Yeah, it is. Bloomington's. I mean, it. it I can, I've been back. I mean, I God, it's been so long. Last time I went back was uh, about five years ago. And it's one of those trips where we always say our, our group of friends, like, Hey, we're going to go every year. Yeah. But when it comes to work, kids, like family trips, and all of a sudden you're trying to plan it. And it's like, damn it, we didn't, we didn't do it this year, but I could go there two, three times a year. No problem. And, and, and enjoy it. That's, so, that's why we started this podcast. So we would yeah. have an excuse to do that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> now I, I am curious about, when you decided to commit to Indiana, do you call Coach Knight to commit to him, or do you call Dockich or Felling? Like, how does that work? Do you rem- and do you remember the moment no, at all? I honestly don't remember. I really don't remember exactly. Um, okay. But I know I came back from that trip and changed, and I think Arizona thought it was a lock, and then he had to make the phone call to them, which I think my coach did. Um, that, that was a tough one because that, that was another really, I mean, Arizona at the time too, look back, that was right, right up there as one of the top. Yeah. And that whole, what is it? What do they call where they play that whole culture and, and, um, where they play and, and at the time, 
great group of guys there. The coaches were great. The assistant coaches, uh, Lute Olson. Yeah, they that were was, a national program. Yeah, they, they championships. That was a that was a tough one to um, say no to them after I think they thought it was a lock. Now, look, I mean, I don't want to skip to the end, but obviously it wasn't all sunshine and cupcakes when Coach Knight is your coach. Um, and, and you know, you've been – I read some articles where you were quoted even um, saying things like that you weren't emotionally ready for Coach Knight's style as a, as a 17-year-old, 18-year-old kid. But I am wanting to know, what did you think – you know, Coach Knight on a recruiting trip is very different than Coach Knight as your coach. But what did you – we all kind of knew the crazy stuff about Coach Knight, throwing chairs, yelling, screaming, cursing. But did you – did that just kind of get washed away when you had the time with him on the visit? Honestly, the, the, the guy on the visit, once you arrive and it's time to go, that, that, that guy's gone. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it was, it's, it was, it was tough. I mean, it was, and I, I did say, I think, like you said, I, in looking back, I wasn't mentally um, prepared for how intense it was going to be. Um, some guys are. And I think I, like, I, again, I think Brian Evans is a perfect example. Looking back, he, I mean, he got it bad and you'd never even know it. And, and he handled it. And I think some guys know how to handle it really well. Um, and other guys, you know, instead of basically saying F you, I'm going to show you, you can take it the other way and kind of go into a hole and feel sorry for yourself or pout or quit or, you know, and I think that was my looking back. That's, not, that's the hardest thing for me um, that I wish I could have handled things differently and been a little more mentally tougher and just kind of said, you know what, I'm going to shove up your ass coach and, mm -hmm. And, and show you, you know, and you learn that as you get older, more mature, looking back, you're like, damn it, you know, why, why didn't, but you're, you're a kid at the time, and I'm not using that excuse, all, all kids are different, and handle it different ways, and um, I still am so glad that I chose Indiana and, and went to Indiana, because I've met some of my best friends in my, my life, and, and now I know about Bloomington. And yeah, that's awesome. Well, uh, and and you get to be lifelong buddies with Brian Evans, which is oh, key. He he's the best. He's been on here a couple times, right? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah he's 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 awesome. Well, he, he really is. He, he had a you know he grew up there, right? And all of us who grew up there at that time, there's this hero worship to a certain extent with Coach Knight. And so when Evans was on the show. He, he said when he was just being absolutely torn apart and berated individually by Coach Knight, in his head, he was just sitting there going, I, I can't believe he, he knows my name. <laughs> like, you know, like this built-in defense mechanism of like my childhood hero is, yes, he's screaming at me, but he's screaming at me by name. Yeah, yeah. And I think he, well, I think he, I heard him say in an interview about even when he was getting recruited, he couldn't believe it. Like Coach yes. Knight recruiting me um but he went in there and he grinded and and he just got better and better and better and he's a perfect example of what you can do in that program and and, and not letting the craziness of night and the way he can just rip you apart he's a perfect example of how it it didn't it, it didn't affect him and that that's 
that's the most important thing. I think looking back is, is not letting that get to you. And a lot of guys were good at that. And some guys weren't. That's yeah. Just, I mean, I think it's, it's easier said than done. Truthfully. It's tough. Hey, I mean, it's, it's tough. It wears on you and it's when you're losing and, and, and Knight's really pissed off. He hates to lose and, and he takes it out on the assistants and then the assistants then are sick and tired of getting yelled at by him and they take it out on us. But we're there for a reason. We're there to win. We're not there to lose. So, you know, I, that's, that's part of the job. When you walked into that program, you walk in to some all timers that are part of your first team. I mean, we are talking about Damon Bailey, Alan Henderson, Brian Evans, obviously Pat Graham, um, growing up just within the, obviously the Southern California basketball world, which is different than the Indiana basketball world. What did you know of the kind of legend of Damon Bailey? Did you, was that story something that you knew anything about? I knew nothing about it. Really? Honestly, I mean, I, I obviously heard about him and, and knew about how he was like the, in eighth grade, one of the best players or the yeah. best player in the country in one state. But I didn't know as much as I probably should have, or if I grew up in Indiana, sure. you know, I would have walked in like, Oh my God, that's, that's Damon Bailey. I didn't, I didn't walk in the locker room. Like, Oh my God, it's Damon Bailey. I was just like, you know, I was in awe, but no, I didn't. Because I think being out here, it was so detached from the program. I obviously knew about Indiana. And I remember as, as I got later in high school, I started watching the programs that I was interested in. So I was watching a lot of, uh, when Indiana was on CBS or ESPN, yeah. I was watching the games. Um, you mentioned Pat Graham. Pat Graham, poor guy. I mean, he he did everything he could. His body was just falling apart. I mean, I, his last year there, I mean, he, all he was doing was just getting treatment, doing the Stairmaster to try to stay in shape and make sure his foot doesn't break again. Mm. I mean, his, the, the, arguably the best shooter you just walk in the gym and just let throw a ball at the end, let him shoot around. Just guy could just shoot the hell out of it. But his body was just falling apart on him. Yeah, we've talked to some people that played high school ball with Pat around that time who told mm -hmm. us, like, I mean, we've heard some crazy comparisons. Like before the injuries, there are guys that say, we're talking about like a Larry Bird talent. Like mm -hmm. that's, I've heard that. Or do you remember who said it? Was it mm -hmm. Sharon or... There was somebody, it might have been Sharon who told us that, but I believe that is, yeah. yeah. I'm not kidding. The way he shot the ball, it, it like, yeah. And he was a, a he was tough as hell. And and I just again I I got there to well, at the end, it was his last year, and he was just doing everything he could to not call it quits or say I can't do it anymore. And he 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 played a little bit, but I think it was his foot. I think he had the foot problem at the time. And yeah. then on his back, yeah, his back was really bad. Um, but yeah, I, I didn't really get to experience, you know, the early days of Pat Graham. Something you got to experience right away was sort of the lowest of lows going to the highest of highs. Um, as, as, as a freshman, the very first game, you guys lose to Butler which was not being coached by Brad Stevens. It was not the butler uh, of the last 20 years. Um, so I, I kind of would love for you to take us through what happens when you lose to Butler in the opening game, and then, <laughs> and then we'll get to the game after that, which was much better. 
real mm -hmm. quick, I'm laughing because I hope people watch the video of this also, because as Ward is talking about Butler, you just see Richard's face, just no, like, it's like you're reliving it. Well, people ask me what was one of the, the, the toughest experiences, and, and, and that was, I mean, here, the first game, we went up, we just took the bus up, an hour bus ride up to Butler. I think we weren't ready or thought we were just going to go up there and have an easy game. Um, I think the seniors at the time thought weren't taking it so serious. And we got our ass kicked. Mm -hmm. and, and what happened was we got on the bus <laughs> for the whole bus ride back night said everything you can imagine <laughs> every single player and he's watching the video on the bus back and that was on a Saturday we didn't play Kentucky until the following Saturday right that was to the, that was probably the toughest week um, of my five years there because we got back and we went straight to the locker room got taped up and went right into a practice. And we just did the entire week. I think we scrimmaged five on five for what, whatever the allowed time for practice. And every little error, mistake, Knight would yell, rip, point it out, and you'd get on the line and run. Mm. It just ran the hell out of us and just killed us. But we went up to Kentucky in the RCA Dome, National that's where Damon Bailey, I think, was the, he was a Hoosier hero on the cover of Sports Illustrated. That's yeah, right. Up there and kicked their ass. So, you know, there you go. It worked, but it was a week of absolute hell. Do you remember at the end of that Kentucky game, Damon Bailey throwing up? No. Do you remember that? Yeah, he, he went. You can kind of see it in clips of the game, but he runs off the second the game ends and just goes and vomits on the sideline. Wow, I believe. Yeah, he, yeah, I mean, he had a great game. The whole team, it, it was just, we went up, it was just it, that we needed that. As hard as that week was, and I, I guarantee it was, it was hell. That was the only way to get out of what we did at Butler. We needed that. And it, it showed. I, but, but Richard, I wonder, you know, you talked about how the, the guy that was on the recruiting visit, Coach Knight, is not the same guy once you get there. How quickly did that become apparent to you in your freshman year? Was it like first practice that you realized it, or did it take that Butler game? To uh, not practice. I mean, practice, but you're still probably. I mean, practice at times. You're you, you. You've never heard a coach go off like he does or has. Um, but the, the the I think the the worst part is when you go through one, two, or sometimes if you go three losses in a row and he just, it, he just will just get after you. Um, and that's when you're like, what happened to the guy on the recruiting visit? Where, where's, that? <laughs> where's that side of him? And he definitely, um, when things are going well and we're winning and we're, we're, we're working hard and he's happy, you see that side of him. He's great, but he's, he's, that, I mean, bottom line is coach Knight's all about winning. Mm -hmm. And he doesn't want to lose. You, uh, we've heard just countless stories about how practices at Indiana for Coach Knight are so much harder than games. The games become the respite, and and the practices are what's really hard. I would imagine coming in as a six foot eleven guy that you had your fair share your freshman year of guarding one Allen Henderson. Uh, what was and Allen Henderson is just an all time great at Indiana. Uh, 
and also a tough guy. We've been after him to come on the show and he just keeps refusing us. He doesn't seem to be a guy who likes to talk that much, I think, in these kind of formats. But tell us about, I mean, we love him. We absolutely love him and what he did for Indiana. But tell us about your experience with Alan. Alan was, Alan was a great leader, um, hard worker. When things were bad and, and we were having those really tough practices, he was a guy that would, you know, fight back and, and, and dominate or, or be a leader by working, trying to work the hardest and win every drill. You know, if there are the, there, there'd be drills with the big guys, you know, like me, Eggers, Lindemann, Henderson, where, you know, whoever was in that group, he would dominate or, or, or try to kick everyone's ass to be that leader. And, um, that, that goes also at the time, um, as later years, Brian, Brian Evans was the same way. He kind of became our leader and Alan Henderson was that guy. He was, I think it was, it was. Was he, was he, I think it was senior year when I was a freshman, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah he was, you know, he came off the, his knee, knee injury, mm-hmm. he was, you know, doing everything he could because he wanted to get drafted. So it was a very, it was a really important year for him. And, and, but he took that leadership role and, and, and really, he was, a, he was a really good guy, good guy in the locker room and a really, and a hard worker. Good guy. Really liked Alan. I do wonder if, you had an awareness of it, if it was something you felt around the program or or just oblivious, that what had just happened before your arrival was, like for Eric and I, and a lot of fans around our age, our favorite Indiana teams ever, uh, you know, with Calbert and that whole class graduating and moving on. Obviously, the refs cost us a championship a couple years before. Uh, Alan's knee probably was the reason we didn't win two in a row. Um, and so did, did you, did you feel a sense because you still had Alan and and Brian was there. Did you have a sense like, Oh, yep. It's, it's business as usual at IU. Or did you get the sense like, Oh man, that, that there was disappointment in Hoosier nation. And now maybe there was extra pressure to see if, if you guys could step up and replace what was arguably the greatest recruiting class uh, in Indiana history that had just left. Yeah, no, that, that freshman year, we were, I think we, we were expected to go far. We, I went to, we went to the sweet 16. Um, There was a lot of high expectations that year. I think it's, it's sucks that we didn't win, win, win the big 10. I think, we should have gotten through. Was it Boston College? Mm-hmm. The game we lost. Week sixteen game. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, and then after that, yeah, it was disappointing. I think it was really disappointing because uh, it was Indiana and being so close years before, and having some of the guys from that team. I think there, there, there's definitely high expectations. We got Dame, Damon Bailey was there still. Um, it just didn't work out. But yeah, I think. Uh, and after that year, the expect, expectations were high because we had really good recruiting classes with, you know, Neil Reed and Andre and Charlie and yeah. Mollier and, and Wrecker. But it's just guys just, it, it, it didn't come together. It guys, were, guys were on, it was, it was hard to really come together as a unit. Really well. Um, was it hard for you? And I want to get more into that point about just coming together as a team because I think it's something that people that, like Ward and I, who never played high-end basketball, 
there is that extra thing that it's not just about collecting the most talent. It is about the parts fitting together and, and having a cohesive unit that makes the whole greater than the sum of the parts. But you were the best player on your team coming out of high school, probably for at least the five, six years before you came to Indiana. You won championships with your high school at La Cunata. Was it hard for you to adjust your mindset from going from a star to now being a role player and filling in a few minutes here and maybe even some games not playing? What was that like personally? Yeah, it was tough. I mean, I definitely wanted to wanted to play and in, in be a, a consistent play every game type player, be a role player, be a guy that, you know, whatever it takes to just be in the mix. And I had, I had, there were times over my, there were, there were times throughout seasons where I became that guy. Yeah. Um, where I really started finding myself and I could come in and be that guy that come off the bench and what play 15, 20 minutes and contribute the way that they expected me to, but it, it was just tough to, to really, I, I honestly don't know why, but it was tough at times to really find or find that place um, and through practice or through all the changes and, and the guys coming in. And, and at times I think we lacked a leader mm -hmm. and have, we really didn't have someone who really stepped up. Um, I think, guys were just trying to survive instead of someone really taking the leadership role in my, in my later years, looking back. Um, and, and then it was tough with guys leaving that, that, you know, was tough on the program and, and tough on the locker room and created some drama where, you know, distraction uh, for us. Um, so we didn't really ever have like a, a strong leader in, in the locker room. I felt and, and that, that hurt. Hmm. Did you, um, when did conversations start about redshirt for your sophomore year? Uh, well, I think it was a conversation in, for both the freshman year and then first of freshman year, um, I think it was Robbie, he, he redshirted. Right. He practiced that fall. They'd seen enough where they felt I could contribute and be someone that can go in and, and you know, screen and get some rebounds and hit it, you know, Get, get a couple buckets here and there and they and, and they saw enough in practice where obviously that's I didn't redshirt and that's why I think Robbie redshirted um, but I think after my freshman year I was ready and needed it and I and I did in redshirting was a good thing um, it wasn't a difficult decision for you you didn't fight it at all no, I know they, they were talking about it freshman year but they said we we saw enough in practice where we feel you can, contribute and come in and, and, and be the big body that you are and help um, help the team and not hurt the team. So that, that's definitely why I didn't redshirt my freshman year. And I, I played, I mean, I, I had yeah pretty consistent, not a lot, but I, I definitely did play. They didn't oh, you just, had a role on the team for sure. Yeah. And, and a role on a, on a good team. Mm -hmm. You then go into your third year at Indiana which is, you know, your redshirt well, sophomore year. Oh, sorry, oh, go ahead. Ford. Oh, yeah, yeah. Sorry, I thought you were g going ahead beyond redshirt year. I was going to go beyond oh, redshirt. I just wanted to talk about redshirt year. Like, w you've been playing games of basketball where the score is kept and there's a winner or loser. 
uh, ever since you were little, and now it's scrimmages, and it's just trying to get better in practice without the reward of 17,000 people screaming in, in complete joy when you put one down. So did you have to shift your mindset in terms of, you know, why you were getting into the, the gym every day? Was that a struggle or did you know, like, no, it's actually going to be better. So I don't care. No, it was going to be better because that's where the assistant coaches really took over and, and pushed you in practice and worked with you um, from felling to dockage. I mean, they definitely wanted you to go out every practice and, and play like it's a game and just and work work on the things you need to work on and get better. Um, and it helped. I mean, I think that's going into my third year, which would have been my junior or sophomore year, which was probably, I think that was my, where I had best moments of my career was that my third year. Um, you guys probably yeah. would think it is. You guys would know better. And, and honestly, a really good team. I mean, you guys, while you had bumps starting, Ward, can we go on to that year now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just kind of wanted to get what, yeah, you sure. know, because it's it was clearly important for your development for what happens this next year. Now, this next year, by the way, this next year is weird because ultimately Purdue wins the Big Ten that year, but then they vacate it, right? So mm -hmm. Indiana finished second. So can we just claim that championship? <laughs> I feel like we can. I mean, I don't know. It feels good to say it. Anyway, that year started really bumpy, but bumpy for some good reason. In your first 10 games, you play Duke, UConn, and Kentucky. I mean, you want to talk about a murderer's row uh, of teams. And you start the year five and five, which, you know, obviously for an Indiana team, it's not great. But clearly, I'm sorry, you also play Kansas. Let me throw Kansas in there. Duke, UConn, Kentucky, and Kansas in your first 10 games. And then you lose a kind of an outlier to DePaul. But you, the team definitely figures it out when you get into Big Ten season. Do you remember coming off your redshirt year and playing that year? You said these were some of your best moments. Did things start to slow down for you? We hear that a lot with athletes at the college level. I just knew I knew, I knew kind of how I could play and help. And, and basically that's where you said you became just a shooter. Well, I, my, my whole thing was to go out and play a really tough defense. We all know I wasn't the most athletic player. So I, I tried to find ways to, to help in, in being a really good shooter, which I, I, I definitely was a good shooter with, with the way the offense was. I got a lot of op open shots mm -hmm. and I just started knocking them down. And, and that is how I started playing and got kind of a consistent role. And, and I had, I had a lot of good games. There were some, some, some really good games that, that season. And I just felt comfortable where I know I don't have to look over my shoulder. I know if I have the ball, if I, obviously not on the first pass, I'm not going to take the shot, but in the offense, if I'm open, they expect me to shoot it. And if I miss it, it wasn't like, damn it, he missed it. It's like, shoot it again. Like I, I, I had the confidence and I know the coaches wanted me to shoot it every time I was open in that offense. And that's why, you know, I played a lot. Um, Cause that's, that's what might expected. Um, and to play good defense and a rebound and in, in, in the most important thing, it sounds so repetitive. was just screen. I mean, if you go and watch the, uh, one of our practices, it's all about screening, screen, screen. I mean, it really is. It gets everyone open. It gets you open. It'll get 
the guy cutting to the basket open and then two players go to him, you're wide open. And that's kind of why that year I started having some really good games. It's you, funny because the art of screening, it's just not, it's been such a bugaboo for, for watching Indiana over the last many years because it feels like we avoid screening. It's like we just change places on the court instead right. of like we go through the motions, not the motion offense, but mm -hmm. we just go through the motions of setting screens when you look in the NBA and like pick and roll obviously is such a big part of the NBA game. But there are guys that set hellacious picks in the N NBA. And typically, those are the guys that get open. Yeah, they are. I mean, you guys got, I mean, you got guys like A.J. Guyton, run around screen for him. I mean, it, it just, it, it makes sense. And if you, if you can shoot the ball in that system, you're going to play, period. And that's what I think is lacking lately in the team. There haven't been a lot of good shooters. It's, it's totally like to me, like, I don't know. I don't know how someone can't spend the time. If you're a decent shooter, they can go into the gym 24 seven or they can get extra work. Like they've been lacking the shooting, which totally. has been, I think I can tell by your right. It's a little frustrating that, oh, yeah. that, that, that to me, I'm just, I don't, I don't understand. Well, me, and, me especially in a state that prides itself so much on, on breeding great shooters and being spoiled by it all the way through the night years. What we've been going through these last few seasons has been very difficult to watch and something we hope is is in the rearview mirror now that we have a Coach Knight disciple back who's been talking a lot about shooting. Yeah, I mean, I think it's I think it's a great to great pick um, with Woodson coming in and, and Dane Fife. That was great adding him to the staff because these guys understand it, the whole entire program. Um, they understand what it's about. They understand what it takes to win. They understand what the they understand what the fans is that want. Evans is that Brian Evans calling? No, I, I actually talked to him last weekend. I had enough of him. Last <laughs> um, we get it. I think the fans. I think these guys know what Indiana needs. What they what we need. What we need to get back to. Um, so I, I'm excited. I, I I you guys got to be excited about. You like the, I mean, I think it's a great hire. It makes sense. He's going to get everything, calm everything down, get everything structured, get it going the right direction. Um, yeah. I think it's so I, I want to ask, I, we agree with you, everything you said. And, oh, and coming yeah. from somebody who lived it, it means a lot more. One of the things that, that we've heard from Coach Woody and something that we knew was important to Coach Knight was connecting to the past and and bringing the former players around more do you remember seeing former players that played for coach Knight around the program and granted you came from california so you didn't have this like indiana connection to some of these guys but what do you remember from, from oh that? yeah guys are around all the time they would come in the locker room they come before they come after um every guy you can think of from over the years was there and they would all be in the locker room. I mean, if we lost, they wouldn't come around. <laughs> they were smart. They were smart. <laughs> we'd be in the locker room, but we didn't lose a lot of home games. Right. So the home games um, at Assembly Hall, you looked around or you saw all the guys. There would be guys from the teams in the 70s, the national championship um, yeah. teams. There would be guys that – if they were playing overseas, they'd be, if they weren't playing there around like Matt Nover basically seemed like he lived at assembly hall. He was there. If he wasn't playing in Japan, 
he was there. I just remember seeing him all the time working out. Yeah, I mean, there was there was such great support from the teams in the past that. Does anybody stick out besides Nover to you that you remember somebody you talked? I just remember Nover always being there in the off season, just always in the gym, always in the weight room. Um, but guys, I mean, I just God, it's been so long to just to think of names. I just I just remember there were always past players there there to cheer us on. That's great. Us, coming after. Um, and Do I you remember tell- Isaiah coming back at all? Never, never saw Isaiah. When we okay. There. I mean, it was still, you were there while he was still playing, I think, right? Right at the end of his career? Uh, yeah. I don't know if he was still, but he, de- I never saw him. Um, I, I just, you know, like, was it Ken Benson was always there, but he lives in Bloomington, I think, right? Or didn't? Oh, right. Was, he lived close. Yeah. He lived he close. Still, there would just be a lot of guys from like those teams. That's awesome. Landon Turner was always around. Yes. He came in and, um, Landon is a character. What a joy. Yes, big time. Yeah. I mean, and then the type of, you know, celebrities that would come, not old celebrities, just this friends of night. Yeah. What's his name? The guy that is the, uh, owns a bunch of horse. Dwayne Lucas. Yes. He was, yeah. he was always around. Did you ever see Parcells or I know like he had, uh, Tony LaRusso was a friend. Um, he he had a lot of good manager and coach certain friends. road trips those guys would come around like if you're playing northwestern yeah be some some base like they're always baseball guys around yeah. too Knight's a big baseball guy yeah um so I'm, back to this year wait hold oh, sorry. on hold sorry. on we got to talk about john mellencamp was he around much while you were there did you <laughs> did we you to, we went we went to his house one i don't remember i don't know if it was my freshman or sophomore year he was you know he was a huge huge fan he sat courtside he had the entire um, team out to his house right outside Bloomington. I don't know if he still has the same house, but it's right on the outskirts. Big, beautiful house. Has like a little lake on it and basketball court. We went out there, hung out for the afternoon, shot around on the court with him and the guys in his band. Oh, how was I mean, his God, game? Was he like Prince? I'm kind of disappointed because at the time, I mean, I love Mellencamp's music. I got a bunch of it in my phone, but at the time, I wasn't like I, I wasn't so like oh wow this is, like if I went now I would freak out like whoa we're going to Mellencamp <laughs> yeah but you were a California kid I was like who's John Mellencamp oh I know that song Jack and Diane like I <laughs> it wasn't as big of a thing like I now looking back I was like oh man but that was that was really cool he was that's a big, awesome order of the program did he have any game could he could he play did he I have hands I don't it's been so long I just remember we were all just kind of hanging out for the afternoon shooting hoops and Mellencamp was there. I think, I think some guys in his band were there. He just, I I th- he's such a big fan. He wanted to have the guys around and invite them out. Um, it was, it was cool. It, it, it reminds me of like, this is such a terrible analogy, but it, the scene in like Narcos where Pablo Escobar just builds a soccer field at his, and he brings the Colombian national team to just entertain himself. Like that's, that's yeah, reminds that's me. Like that. he, yeah, that, that's, a, I agree with that. He really, <laughs> he really enjoyed, I mean, I, I, th- I don't know if he's still. He's is, still around. He comes to games. Yeah, no, he, I remember he was courtside. Yeah. All the, so is he back going to the games? Is he, he there? Was, Obviously, last year because COVID, no one was. But I remember two years ago they would show him on some national games, and I talked to some friends who said he was there. 
Yeah, he's still he's still a supporter. Awesome. I love it. Um, so I want to get back to that third year because you you mentioned before how some drama started happening with the team, and I'm not sure if this was the first thing that happened, but I'm pretty sure it was this year where Sharon Wilkerson got kicked off the team. Um, And, you know, we've had Sharon on the show within the last couple of years. And you want to talk about like a redemption story and a guy who, who like owns his mistakes and has turned around his life and regrets what happened. It's pretty remarkable. But in that moment, I mean, I remember I was a student there and it pissed me off because I just thought like, Sharon was supposed to be this otherworldly talent and here he was screwing around and doing something that he absolutely should not have been doing. And it really hurt the team. What do you remember from that time? I mean, it was a tumultuous time. Man, you just, I, I, I mean, I remember that, but the details, I kind of forgot about the whole Sharon thing. Um, but now looking back, it was, it put a toll on our season on the locker room and, and Sharon was, I remember, he had that horrific um, leg injury against Temple in the tournament where, I mean, arguably could have been career ending and should have, not should have been, looking back at it, a lot of people thought it was, but he rehabbed back, worked hard. And, and the sad thing was, and I think maybe Sean touched on it, is Knight really got in his corner. Yeah. Really, really was pushing for Sharon to be the leader and was really, you know, pumping him up in practice. And as he should, I mean, he just came back and here he is trying to get back to where he was. And, and he had, he had all the support he could ask for. And it just went South on him. And it, and Knight was really, I remember Knight was really in his corner, really pulling for him and really, you know, talking him up. And I think he really wanted him to be that, that leader, like I said earlier, that we were looking for, and it just, it backfired. You know, Richard, obviously you, you had, um, you've talked about it, the, the, the difficulty you had just adjusting to Coach Knight's style. But he's also, I think you would probably agree with this, one of the greatest basketball minds that, that has ever been. But when you're a 19, 20-year-old kid, and you're in the middle of, just surviving kind of practice to practice. Are you able to see that he is that? Like, are you able to divorce yourself from just getting the barrage of rage, if you will, and stress, and also realize that this guy is an all-time great? Or does that not even equate at that moment? No, it doesn't equate. I just think for me, it was we were going through so much at the time we weren't having a good season and it, it just snowballed. And, and at times I think, I mean, I'll be honest, I, I probably let myself down and my team down and, and got so sick and tired of what we're going through. And, and me personally, where you, I think I know itself possibly probably was quitting at times mm-hmm. to me, looking back really pisses me off, you know, as you, get away and you grow up, you mature and you start thinking about how I could have done this better. That was my biggest thing is not, is not letting the atmosphere bring me down um, and, and letting my teammates down, letting the program down um, because we were, we were in the middle of a perfect storm because we did have, I mean, we really did have a lot of talent. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We did, if you really looked around, but I think everybody was just, 
trying to survive because it was Indiana and we were winning, but we weren't winning like we should. We weren't, it was just kind of up and down and, and it, it was a real, it was a real tough period. I mean, guys like Andre Patterson was, was fighting to do everything he could to be the talent the coach expected. He had a tough time. I think Dre's, Dre's arguably one of the nicest guys you, you could ever totally. meet. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you guys met. He's, yeah. Just a, he came on the show. He, I mean, he's just a lovely guy. <laughs> just really, really, really good dude. You know, um, Charlie Miller, same thing. I think we just all were in our own heads trying to figure out how do we write this ship and or write my own ship. And mm-hmm. we just, and it showed, it showed in those last couple of years. You did well, you, say though that the year after your red shirt year, there were some, you know, you felt like maybe personally that was your your best season or some of the best moments. And I do wonder when when you're thinking about the good times, and maybe it's back to this season. But is there a moment from a game or a, that you had a, a particular hand in a shot you made, a pass, a screen that set up a shot, or even just a win? that that you really like to to bask in maybe when you're driving along and your mind drifts back to Bloomington. You mean like that what was a really good moment that I that sticks out? Yeah. Um, yeah, that year there were I mean I guess that's when I was you're there for a reason. You want to be a good player. You want to you want to play every game. You want to you want to score. You want to you know produce and and there were moments like I, I think there was a Purdue home or a game home against Purdue it was on ESPN and ended up it went into overtime I think it's the one that I can't believe we lost I think it's Chad Austin hit it at the buzzer oh yeah I remember that game yeah and I played like I played like 30 minutes had a, I had a really good game I think I hit a three in the corner played good I forget what I had but it was just one of those games where like this is this is what playing for Indiana is all about and it was Purdue and it was on ESPN and here we are going into overtime and it's Brad Miller, you know, that whole thing. And we ended up, we, it was, I think Chad Austin hit it at the buzzer. And it, but you know, the games like that, even though we lost that game, but that is, is looking back what it, what it's, what it's all about playing for Indiana, being in games like that and, and playing a lot of minutes and, and helping and, and producing and, and, yeah, it, it's a special place to be in Assembly Hall and in a packed atmosphere and, and playing games like that. You're now fourth year in Indiana and your your redshirt junior year, if you will. Here come a couple guards named AJ Guyton and Michael Lewis, along with another big man, one of the best big men in the country, Jason Collier. And again, a team that on paper has a ton of talent. I mean, Andre Patterson, Charlie Miller is still there. Obviously, you're there. Just a lot of talent on this team. Uh, Neil Reed is still there for for this year. Uh, what do you remember? We, we've gotten to know Lewis uh, pretty well out here as well. Uh, we like him sometimes and hate him other times. <laughs> um, what, what do you remember about Lewis and Guyton when they came in? Great. Uh, Lewis and I were really close with, uh, you know, Collier is really close with Wrecker. Yeah. We were a close group and great guys. Guyton, I remember him. I mean, Guyton, what a talent. Totally. That. Like, I, I remember I had a couple classes with him, and um, but then come and practice and play as a freshman, he he was the real deal. Um, 
again, we had all this talent, but I, I think we just had so many guys that were in their heads instead of coming together as a unit. And we, we were just lacking that strong leader in the room to say, F everything, we're gonna come together. And, and we just were, we were lacking that. And there were too many people worrying about themselves or getting down on themselves and, and it showed. Well, I it's mean, funny I because like going in, it felt like it was dysfunctional at times. Hmm. Well, and, and this is, this is when I showed up in Bloomington, I was there now and you guys are the problem. I, I, I didn't help. I know I didn't help, <laughs> but you guys, you, you beat Duke in the preseason NIT. Andre goes crazy. You guys get ranked up to sixth and we're all like, here we go. Okay. 14 and one. It took us, it took us a couple, three seasons after in the post Cheney years to figure it out. But now here we are. And then kind of basically once you get into big 10 season, it starts to unravel in a, in a really dramatic way. And I wonder, I know the narrative, I put it on it at the time. And I don't know if the fan base as a whole did, but there's this narrative starting to come out that coach Knight no longer could get through to today's young players that maybe finally his old school ways were starting to pass the generations by. Is that valid at all? Or is that just a, a, a spoiled fan base who's all up in arms because it's been 10 years since we won a title? I think that that's probably part of it. I mean, you, you, yeah, I think he, he uh, at times with the type of kids that we were at the time, we, he wasn't getting through to us and, and was a lot of guys were just shutting down mm. and just turning off to the way he was trying to motivate us. That was his way of doing it. And it wasn't working. And that's not, and unfortunately, you know, that's, that's like I've said earlier, that's the thing that's frustrating for me is, is, is looking back, letting that type of coaching get you down instead of just fighting back. Um, some guys did handle it well, other guys just kind of just turned off. And I think it showed in our, the way our, our seasons ended up and the way we would lose in the first round and the way we would kind of, be in the middle of the big 10 every year we'd win a great game and then we'd lose a couple and it was just we were all over the place it's funny though you bring up the leader thing because that's kind of where a leader steps up when when things are going great you don't really need the leader but when things start to go bad that's where you need somebody to kind of plant a flag and go that's it you know we're going to rally around and and clearly that that element was missing look i i know you've been asked about this a million times over the years but this is also the year of the incident with Neil Reed that doesn't come to, to the sunlight, if you will, for a couple of years after, but this is the year of the practice with the yeah. incident. Yeah. Do you, when I remember when we talked to Guyton and Lewis, they both say they don't even remember this being an incident when it happened, when it happened in reality, they don't even remember it. Do you remember it happening in the moment? I don't, I don't remember it. I mean, I've seen, the footage that everyone's sure. obviously, but I mean, what was happening right there was just a, a, a it happened, happens in every practice, whether it was Neil, me, AJ, Andre, you name it. He was really pissed off. And I think he was really pissed off at Neil about something right there. But I don't remember like all of a sudden everybody looked around like, oh my God, right. look what happened because he was, coach was, 
aggressive in practice and, and when things weren't going right, he'd let you know. And I think he was having a moment with Neil. Um, and I no, I don't remember the actual what happening because the way Knight was so intense in practices, it was just another incident right. of him being really intense, aggressive and getting pissed off. So that year ends with one of the worst endings, I think, for a Bob Knight team, which was the blowout loss to Colorado. Now, you do look back on it and you go, well, they did have Chauncey Billups, who went on to win NBA title and was considered like maybe the best point guard of his like five-year era where he was on top of the game. They were a really good team. Um, but that season ends horribly. I think Ward is exactly right. For the first time really ever, you're hearing this narrative of, is this the, are we watching the beginning of the end of, of coach Knight, which was as a fan, a lifelong fan, that was an unsettling time. I mean, it was just weird because Bobby Knight was Indiana basketball. So the idea of it being the end made no sense to anybody that, that was like of our age that grew up a fan of Indiana. But then I believe that coach Knight has a, a conversation with you and others at the end of that year, where basically he opens the door for you to leave the program mm -hmm. and, and clearly some walked through it like Neil Reed who, who left the program, but you chose to stay. And uh, I'm just wondering if you can walk through clearly you've had now four years because you redshirted of difficult time, you know, and your career has had some really good ups, but not as many or as consistent as I'm sure you would have liked. Yeah. What, what was it Richard that, that, that kept you there? Because I, from afar, I think it's admirable, but I'm wondering what was in your head. Um, well, I, I remember that very clearly. I think we, we lost it. We were at Wake, we lost to Colorado in Wake Forest. We got back. It was, it was, it was not good. It, we got our ass kicked. Um, we had a crappy year. He was sick of a lot of guys, including me. I think he just was ready for, for me to just move on including some other guys probably. And, and we came back and he called, uh, he called, uh, was it me, Robbie, Eggers, Andre and Neil into the, into his locker room and basically said, you guys are done. You guys are out of here. And, and we're like, okay. And I just basically said, no, I'm not, I'm not leaving. And he just went on and on and on. Basically, you guys, you know, aren't coming back here. We're, we're, we're done. Left the, left the locker room. And basically, I, I, I didn't want to leave. I, I've, I'd been there for so long. Um, I didn't want to quit. Um, and on top of that, I was going into my last year. I didn't, you know, what am I going to do? Am I just going to pack up and go to some who knows what school? I just, I was comfortable there. I was getting ready to graduate. Um, I knew my career is pretty much over at that point. Um, I could tell, I could tell that year I finally got to the point where I was like, no matter what I do, it just, it's not working. Um, and I just said, all right, I'm not, I'm not leaving. Didn't leave and just stuck around and I didn't want to leave. I mean, I was already a Hoosier. I was, yeah, we, it was disappointing, but I wanted to finish it out and, that was kind of it. And he kind of did what he was going to do that next year to do whatever he thought was the best way to 
to create a team that could win. And I was pretty much at that point felt that I was just going to be here. I played maybe a little bit. I didn't play that much. And, but you know, it's not all on coach. I take full responsibility of, of, you know, where I was at that point in my career. Um, but I definitely didn't want to leave, even though it was tough hearing that it wasn't fun. Right. It was not fun at all sitting there and him basically saying, you get the hell out of here. You're done. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't a nice conversation, but is what it is. And I said, well, I'm not leaving. And that was it. And when you say you thought your career was pretty much done, I assume you're talking about your, your career with coach Knight. Yeah, I think he'd had enough of me and, and, I understand why, but there's other times where I definitely feel there were times where I was completely blindsided and had no idea where, you know, while I wasn't playing more or I was having great practices and, and, and not playing as much as I thought I was or do, I thought I was doing everything right. Um, I had moments of that where I was really frustrated. Uh, but going in after hearing that and how the, this that season was and him kind of reorganizing and I think bringing in different recruits, he was going in a different direction where you, I could tell like, all right, I'm going to be here, but I'm probably not going to be a main player anymore. But were you thinking about, well, I, I'm going to, I'm going to go and see how it goes professionally after this. Like, was it, you know, was that part of your mindset? Because you did go do that for a couple of seasons, but I'm sort of wondering if that's playing in at all uh, when you're, you're planning your future beyond Bloomington. No, I just went through it. Like I went through the other years and, and I know I could tell I wasn't going to play. I mean, I didn't quit. I still had to, you know, go through all the preseason conditioning and weight training and practices. And um, I, I just, that, that kind of happened once I was done, I kind of got recharged. And then once I, I left that, that summer, um, but I knew, I, I knew after him saying that in the locker room, I mean, how can you really think you're going to be a main player or even play when you're basically just said, it's time for you to go. You, we don't want you here anymore. That was tough. That was tough hearing that. I imagine, I imagine that next year was also tough just knowing that there was very little you could do to kind of reverse that. I do want to ask you about something that happened that year um, because it's one of the most memorable games. I, I believe it was this, this last year, last year was the game against Illinois where Ted Valentine called like 14 technicals on coach Knight. Wasn't this the year where I think he called three techs on him. Luke Recker got hurt. He came onto the court. Wasn't this that year? Do you remember this at all? I thought it was February of 98, but maybe I'm off. Anyway, there was, a, there was a game where Wrecker went to the bucket, got hurt. Knight came on the court. Valentine called a technical on him, and then another one and threw him out of the game. <laughs> then Knight made a beeline for him. Valentine almost bumped him, right? Yes, yeah. yes. So, and I remember I was in the crowd for that game thinking, well, this is where Bob Knight's career ends because <laughs> it was a long it was a long walk, and I remember thinking, well, he's just going to knock him out. I mean, he is going to go and, and physically attack him. And I, I, I was curious if you remembered that at all. No, I remember. He walked he – got, he got kicked out of the game, and he walked so fast. <laughs> and he basically walked right to where 
he just brushed him. Like, I mean, I thought he was going to run him. I, I remember that. He was almost ran him over, but I think he just bumped shoulders with him. Yeah. yeah that, that wasn't good. No, no, that was not good. <laughs> There's um, another game a little bit before that that I've got to say uh, is one of the top four games of my undergraduate years, just in terms of how fun and exciting it was, which was when Purdue came to town. They were a top 10 team, and you guys did knock them off. I remember – I didn't get tickets for that game, so I was at Knicks, and it got, I'd say, dangerously exciting at Knicks. Wrecker threw one down, and, and it was a, a blurry but very fond memory. And I wonder, was that something you could you could still enjoy at that point? Yeah. Definitely, yeah. yeah. I mean, I love that. Wrecker, Wrecker and I were really close, so just bringing his name up. So, yeah, I mean, all the guys, we, we all loved each other and, and got along, and yeah, I mean, it, it was still a lot of fun. Don't get me wrong. It was just kind of disappointing at that point, knowing, like, Jesus, whoa, sorry. Jesus, here I am. It's my last year, and I'm kind of – it's already over type thing. It kind of felt at times. Um, so your your career ends at, in Indiana. Uh, one of the things we love to do with anybody who spent time in Indiana, and we're coming close to the end of our time with you, so we got to hit these. What was your favorite restaurant in Bloomington? Uh, loved Yogi's. By the way, you worked, you worked at, Yogi's. at Yogi's, right? I, well, I worked there in the kitchen because we had to have a job every summer. And that's, I, I just, my, my roommate worked at Yogi's. And I'm like, I just, because I always kind of wanted to do, get into the restaurant bar side of things. So I got a job there and I worked in the kitchen that summer. I don't know, it's like three days. I forget, forgot how many days a week, but yeah, I did that. I, by the way, it, it speaks very well of Yogi's that you worked in the kitchen and still say it was one of your favorite restaurants. Hey, kitchen, yeah, right? <laughs> yeah, right? I mean, because usually that would reveal some things that would mean you would not want to eat there. Yeah, no, kitchens, no, that, no. Yogi Jim, I mean, I'm, I, I was, my dad was good friends with the owner, Jim Carl. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, no, Yogi's was great. Loved, which I'm kind of disappointed. It's no uh, not around anymore. Is McCree's? Yes. Yeah. Yes. What? What? I actually talked. I said that to Evans uh, the other day, or randomly when we talked. No, what? No one knows why that place closed, and it was like packed. Like it was Always. a good for everybody. Yeah. yeah. Oh, by, by the College Mall, right? Yeah. I and they made their own potato chips that were oh, incredible. Great. Oh, everyone loved McCree's. I know I still can't get a, an answer. That's, that was my girlfriend who became my wife, now my yeah. ex wife, but that was our date spot. We yeah. went to McCree's for like the good meal. We went to McCree's in my house. Mm -hmm. I still have a, a McCree's cup that has been so so as to not lose it with you know children and that kind of stuff. It now holds all my pens and pencils. <laughs> nice. Well, you got to say, so then, and obviously there's always a, there's little, little Zagreb's. Yeah, wow. every, every, every athlete or late night after midnight, everybody knows about La Bamba. Yes. <laughs> we yes. La Bamba at 2.30 in the morning. If you haven't had La Bamba at 2.30 in the morning, you haven't gone to IU. <laughs> <laughs> it does it taste better then. What's that? It tastes better at 2.30 oh, in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So um, hey, wait, the, one last thing. Oh, they're not, it's not the, not the same. The sandwiches at Convenient Mart across from the stadium. Hmm. 
you know. I don't know if it's even a convenient mart anymore. It, it is. There. I lived right next to it. Dunhill Apartments was right I next to it. Room. I guarantee you ask any, I mean, obviously athlete, but at the time, the sandwiches there. Yes. There's a meatloaf sandwich, just their deli sandwiches, the bread. You ask anybody, they're going to be like, the sandwiches there were insane. You are the first person in about 150 interviews to bring up the convenient mart across from the stadium. And you are so right. I I ate more meals there than is appropriate. That's yeah, the truth. It was awesome. I, every, I think everyone on the football team ate there. Everyone I know was would get a sandwich there. I think there was like, a they had this meatloaf sandwich. It was just, and the guy that, I don't even remember his name. I think he was the owner or the manager. Super friendly guy, good guy. Um, I'm with you. Buffaloes, you got to throw yeah. in buffaloes. Oh yeah, yeah, going strong that Buffaloes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Ward, what's your question? Well, uh, instead of your favorite restaurant, your least favorite class. Oh man, sure. I don't even, I don't, that's a tough one. You just threw me off right there. <laughs> um, Most people say finite. God, I think there was a, an, I remember there was an art class I had that was just so painful. <laughs> that, and I, I think the teacher was um, Miles Brand's wife. Oh, that really? was the problem. That uh, was the problem. I think it was. And I just remember, I'm like, what am I doing in this class? I had to take it for some reason. And it was just like, what, what is, what, what are we doing here? I just remember it was, it was just a, Awkward. I just remember that. And I think it was Miles Brent. Yeah, it was. It was her, his wife. Wow. But yeah, I just remember that class being. It, it wasn't. It wasn't enjoyable at all. Favorite pizza. Oh my god! I mean, you gotta go. I mean, I get in this text thread with these guys probably once a month when someone goes through Bloomington. What do you think it is? Mother Bears. No. Pizza Express. Oh, we we love Pizza Express. We love it. But I I put them in two different classes. Like to me, Pizza Express is the La Bamba of pizza. Mother Bears is like if you're gonna go out and get a pie, you go to Mother Bears. Yeah, and then I mean, and then first thing whenever I think Bloomington and pizza is probably just because of the dorms, and I never had it. Uh, was I think every dorm room had Papa John's. Yeah. <laughs> yep. And then there's that garlic sauce. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. In California, I was like, wow, what, you know, what is this Papa John's? But yeah, that, but that wasn't my go-to. I just remember it was like everyone had Papa John's in my freshman year. That was everywhere. I will say because Eric and I just we 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 did some Papa, not some Papa, some uh, Pizza X. Now it's Pizza X. Uh, the breadsticks, I would say, are better than ever. Because I will say, a good amount of the Pizza Express I would get back in the late 90s, those sticks you could play drums with. No, but I, I'd say they yes, the sauce. It. Yeah, the, the sauce, sauce, the sauce remains a, the same. If you get a Coke, Sprite, whatever it is, it comes in that like to-go cup that you can keep. Yep. You mean, you mean the ones that I have still populating my drawers out here in LA? Glass is like, oh, it's got like all the dew and like the way it's delivered it's it, and the ice is somewhat melted. Yeah. The Tootsie Rolls. Tootsie Rolls. Yes. I get a tech, I get a picture of Pizza Express in this text right probably once a month. I love it. Um, 
so you you were I'm gonna cut it short here a little bit because I want to let you go. I know you got kids to pick up, but I, I would be remiss if we didn't cover the kind of seismic thing that happened at Indiana a couple years after you left, which is of course Bob Knight gets let go. And your name resurfaces at this time um, because of reports that have been put out. I'm sure you got phone calls from people because you were around at that time. The Neil Reed tape uh, becomes public. Um, what, what do you just remember from that time? And, and what was your involvement as far as people reaching out to you about it? Um, I mean, obviously I, was, I did get interviewed for that CNN thing, I, you know, if I had to do over again, would I have done that? I don't know, probably not, but I didn't, I just, people, they asked me questions about when they were doing that special on it. You know, I just right. told how it was, how bad it could be at times. Um, I, it just felt like, honestly, as sad, sad as it is, it, it was like, it was time. It was time for, you know, he's a legend. They need to name the court after him. I think it's, it's, it's great that he came back the way he did. They need to put his name on that court. Like they have Coach oh. K here. I gotta say though, Richard, I, I I'll be honest. I did not know that you would have that perspective on it because I figured, you know, I mean, your time was tough there. You talked about it, and yet you still were able to kind of look at it and go, "No, he deserves that for what he did at Indiana." Of course. I mean, was there a lot of bad there? Yeah. Was it was it tough at times? Did you just want to quit and leave at times? Sure, but you know that that. That was never an option. And, and the thing, the way I look at it now, looking back is you have a responsibility to understand the type of program that you're going to. And once you commit that, you gotta, you gotta deal with it. And, and that's what I did. And, and, and I didn't leave. And, and yeah, there were parts of night that I think every player would wish he wouldn't act like or coach like, or talk to you like, but at the end of the day, He's coached Knight and, and what he's done for Indiana, for the school and for the program and for all the all the past players, how he's helped. And that that assembly hall should should have him. It, it should be he should be on that court. I, I, I really think they need to name it coach. However, they want to do it. I think I've heard discussions about it, but it, it has to be. Wouldn't you don't you guys think? I mean. It's, it's tough because it is Branch McCracken court right now. Yeah, so but, you have to like, but, but that there's, there's gotta be a, whether it be a huge, you know, statue as oh. you're walking in. So I agree so, with you. I mean, it should be night hall. I mean, I honestly, I'd be fine when they changed it to Simon Scott assembly hall because they paid for it, which that's what you get when you pony up $30 million. Yeah. But Bobby Knight's name should be memorialized with Indiana basketball. 100%. I think it'd be really cool to see his name on the court, you know, just like Coach K court. Isn't Was it called Coach K? Isn't yeah, it? I think so, right? Something like that. It's just, yeah, I mean, look, at it, like I just said, everything he's done and you think Indiana, what's the first person? You don't say a player. When you think Indiana basketball, you don't say Isaiah Thomas or, you know, whoever. You say Bobby Knight. You know, there's a reason for that. Uh, I do wonder you know with with all that you went through while you were there um it seems it seems like it's still kind of for eric and i where we weren't getting yelled at every day we didn't have the expectations of hundreds of thousands of fans around the world really 
uh, bearing down on us that it's it, it's just this incredible fond memory that we physically like to go back to as often as we can. And I wonder, with time, has that been something where as you got further away from Bloomington, it's more, except for when two podcasters bring it up to you, is it more just those good memories and the fondness for the place and the people you were there with? Is that really what you carry with you more than all this crap that happened uh, around the basketball team? 100%. I mean, when I look back now, I look back at it's, it's, it's a good feeling. It's something to, I feel really um, lucky to be part of Indiana basketball. Um, and, and then the friends that I've made there, um, I don't look at it as a negative or dwell on all the BS. It's more of, I look at the positives and, and what looking back, I do look back at what, what I wish I could have done to make it better, but that's on me. That's not on the program or coach night. And yeah, I, I, I look at it as, as a special place. And I really, like I said, I'd like to try to get out there a couple of times a year and maybe as my kids get older and, and they're in college and I have more free time and that'll start happening, but it's definitely nothing but good memories. Uh, I have to ask this. I mean, obviously when you were interviewed for that thing, the story that we've all heard many times from other people came up of Coach Knight, uh, let's say, visually representing how you guys were playing oh. one time. Uh, <laughs> but but that, I'm not going to ask about that story. What I'm going to ask, because we heard this from Todd Leary, Michael Lewis alluded to it. One of the things you don't expect, I think, when you're playing for any coach at any level is that you will see him in a state of undress uh, in just casual conversation or just <laughs> normal, normal everyday conversation, one of you isn't wearing clothes. Do you remember the first time that that happened to you? And did you think it was as batshit crazy as the rest of us do? Honestly, I vaguely remember it, but I remember it. It was, it, it was just, there were so many things like that. You're just like, what the hell just happened? Or what did he do? Or what did he say? Or he'll, he'll rip, rip on someone and then he'll leave the room. And we kind of would laugh at how he would attack someone or did you just see what he did? Or honestly, some of the assistant coaches would get in on it where they would even be like, did you guys just see what coach just did? Or <laughs> he, yeah. I mean, there's no one like him period. Did you ever have to watch film with him in his locker room while he was not wearing clothes? No, but I know you've heard probably stories from other guys who would go in there and be like, get over here. I, I, I've heard, I was never at that level where it's like, I would go over and sit. Okay. Uh, I heard there's, he would just be getting out of the shower. Yeah. Walking in. It's like, Jesus, he's, <laughs> he's calling you over. I, I was never at that level or that player, but I've heard from a number of players who just went over there and it's like, I just had to see naked coach night and watch film with me so i never experienced that look i know that people that may be like younger listening to this and they're like so offended by that i mean like i i, I tell my girlfriend these stories and she's like what i mean he should be arrested like and i'm like it's just not no. i don't know there's something normal about that in the context of what he was at the time you know what i mean like yeah. it's something you would just laugh about afterwards i, I agree yeah. 
Well, Richard, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. And normally with our guests, we're like, hey, we can't wait till fate brings us to Bloomington at the same time. Uh, so we could actually meet in person, but we're going to come see you at Fat Dog. Just no, no, we're, we're going to the Fat Dog in North Hollywood. Give it a little, uh, a little plug. Uh, no, you guys, you guys got my number. Let's definitely uh, meet up and we'll get Lewis. And I'm telling you, two weeks from Saturday, or I'm sorry, a week from Saturday, we should set it up. Like we had a blast doing it. I think yeah. it's the Western Kentucky game, which probably means we'll win so we can be happy while watching the game. Um, but let's do it. We'll set up a whole thing for Hollywood Hoosiers to come out and meet us there and make sure Lewis joins too. Uh, definitely done deal. You guys, let's, let's make it happen and, and figure out, you know, besides that one, more of them. We've Absolutely. Got we would love to in basketball season. We've got all kinds of time to do it. So uh, Richard, uh, like Ward said, thanks for taking the time. Thanks for your honesty and, and perspective. Yep. It's um, I got to say, man, I, I, Ward and I talked, I just didn't know overall what your feeling about Indiana would be. And hearing you say that, like, you're glad you chose to go to Indiana, even though it didn't maybe turn out on the court the way that you had dreamed it might have, it just speaks a lot to your character. And uh, hearing you say that you're proud to be part of Indiana basketball, it just, for a fan, it means everything. I love it. And uh, and and I'm really glad we got the opportunity to do this. Yeah, great. Thank you, guys. This is a lot of fun. And uh, let's, uh, let's get together soon. That was a guest. That was a guest. I meant what I said there. I, if you do your, the research on him, it's just not pretty, right? It's not pretty from a perspective of he was involved in the CNN story. He was saying unflattering things about Coach Knight. Um, his career statistically and performance did not go the way that you would think a star, all-American level player coming out of high school would go. He had to leave and go thousands of miles away you know, um, well, and, and we were there for a good chunk of it. And we know what the mood around the program was. So you really couldn't blame. Well, he stayed. So I guess that did say something about how he felt about being a Hoosier, which I thought was so great when that okay. moment came and he was like, but I was a Hoosier. Like, here's a Southern California kid. He's tossed into this insanity. That's Indiana basketball. And it, it only kind of gets harder the longer he's there, but he has he has become one of us. But but you know, look, it's it was not a great time to be there. No, and and you're I, I meant what I said about it being it was unsettling as a fan to to think about for the first time in our lives at that moment in you know nineteen let's call it nineteen ninety seven through the end. Yeah, to really be thinking is there Indiana basketball without Bob Knight? What does that even look like? Like, cause we had never seen it, you know, right. since, yeah. since we had been born and for a large generation, for all the kids that went to Indiana for the years we were there and several years before they had never seen it either. And, and so I just was not sure what his perspective would be, but you're right. Like hearing him talk about just, He's saying that he was lucky to be part of Indiana basketball. Yeah. And you and you've you've said this so many times that there's 13 scholarships every year. If you get one of them, you're a lucky son of a bitch. You and, are lucky. And he he knew that to the point where even when Coach Knight was telling him to leave, he was like, fuck you. He oh. finally learned how to tell Coach to fuck off. Yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> I'm staying. I just love that. Um and 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 I mean, look, I've got a 13-year-old son now who's about to be 14. And, and he doesn't play athletics, you know. He doesn't do that. But the idea of 
just in a few years, my son being berated by an adult, like, first of all, I think it'd be good for him, truthfully, but, <laughs> but, but also it would be very difficult. Like, sure. and, and I know what that would do to my son, you know? Um, so Bob Knight's the greatest coach in the history of the game. And it was also really difficult for a lot of people to, to deal with how he became the greatest coach in the history of the game. It just wasn't for everybody and some cut and run and he didn't. And he didn't, even though he wasn't experiencing personal success and wasn't experiencing team success and he still stuck it out. And I do admire that. I really do. I think it speaks to perseverance and, and grind and, and it does speak to an inner toughness that, that, uh, that I don't even think he realized he had. Well, and it seemed like he developed an allegiance, a loyalty to to being a Hoosier, which yeah. uh, is certainly something we all can relate to, just having loved our time there. But when you've literally sweat and bled and in all likelihood cried um, to to have the honor of wearing that uniform, it really any anybody at any time who's put i don't know pre-everett dean how hardcore they really were but i think rest assured for like the last century um those people put so much into it that again it's the the level of understanding and appreciation i have for richard in particular and and what he he survived if if you will and anybody else who's put on that uniform in the last century is it's just increased when somebody takes a couple hours to relate uh those those stories and those trials and tribulations to us what do you think was more impressive him sticking through the thick and thin or me resisting the urge to say so when you're seven feet tall what's the weather like up there well what's more impressive i'm gonna go with richard on that one Okay, but it's close because we've talked to bah, uh, more than a handful of, of seven footers, and it never even like crossed my mind to ask them yes, that. Right, I didn't. I didn't say you resisted. Right, right. It it not only crosses my mind; it is on the tip of my tongue throughout the entire interview. But I am so sophomoric, if yeah. you will. Uh, that that for it not to even cross my mind, it really doesn't say a lot about where you're at. <laughs> so I don't think it's impressive at all uh, that you resisted that. In, in fact, it's unimpressive that it crossed your mind. You know what I didn't realize? I, I was I was doing sound on a project. A guy who was doing post sound for a project I was on many years ago, and he was six seven, quite tall by normal standards. But I didn't realize how just being six seven is so annoying for him in day-to-day life not just like getting in cars or walking through a door buying clothes he he said people will stop him at restaurants to take a picture with him on a regular basis because he's six seven and i was like really really that like that is bizarre to me and in la you know where there's celebrities everywhere and whatnot that people are stopping him just to take a picture outside denny's like can you imagine at at seven foot which it's actually maybe nice for richard in terms of all those hoosiers recognizing him and finding that community but it just seems like it's a a pain in the ass is there a chance that the person you were talking to lived in oz no, if, where they if, were just surrounded by munchkins? Is that a possibility? I'm not. I think he grew up around here. Okay. 
Um, but I didn't know there were so many short people in Australia. That was an Oz joke. Oh. Not a great one. No, I mean, look, they can't all be gold. <laughs> yeah, and look, nobody's listening anyway. Even <laughs> hardcore hysterics of the week are not listening right now. <laughs> oh, it's so great. All right, let's wrap it up. Follow us yeah. on Twitter at Who's Your Hysterics for the hysterics. No E, no I. But, but the sometimes why. We will talk to you after the football game next week. That's right. From the halls of assembly, you'll hear us scream and shout. Our love of Indiana is manic and devout. Everything I do, we discuss in unique manner. We won't be satisfied until we hang another banner. Us two goofy guys go by names of Ward and Eric. And as you probably know by now, we're Hoosier Hysterics. Hoosier Hysterics. Hoosier Hysterics. Hoosier Hysterics.